You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to the 42 cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. As always, I am your host, Nathan, and we have another great episode lined up for you where we're going to talk about Marvel's The Punisher Season 2. Yes, we are going back again into the vault to pull out an episode that was recorded years ago before the COVID times. We have five more of these, just so you know if you're keeping score at home, because I know I keep saying that the number is dwindling. But yeah, we have five more of these after this one, and it was one recorded on Skype, so we have the normal Skype issues where sometimes the conversation loses sync. Again, we've tried to do our best to fix that in editing. Also on this one, Mark Finn had to call in because of the circumstances of what was going on in his life at that point, so he called in on the phone. And his audio quality is noticeably less clear than ours. It's still perfectly easy to understand him, but if you're wondering why he sounds like he's talking through a tin can, that's why he was speaking into a phone and the quality is a little bit different. But I wanted to get through these, especially now that there are so many rumors that John Bernthal is going to return as the Punisher. Some rumors say in Echo, other rumors say in Daredevil Born Again. But there are a lot of rumors swirling around. Now, I have no idea if any of those are going to be true. But with the fact that Charlie Cox has come back and the fact that the rumors were right about the multiple Spider-Men being in Spider-Man No Way Home, I feel like there's at least some credence to listen to the rumors in this case when they say that John Bernthal is returning as the Punisher. So this seems like a good time to get this one out there. And yeah, uh, like I say, going to try to burn through the rest of these legacy episodes as I can. Of course, I'm going to prioritize shows that are coming back for another season and getting their previous season out first, but when I have any kind of free time where I'm not pressed to get in something that's coming out soon, then I will definitely go back to these oldest ones and be releasing them. So not too many more of these, but did want to let you know that that's where this one comes from. That's why any references we make or anything like that are going to be woefully out of date. Anything that we're doing in our lives or anything going on sort of in uh, geeky media at the time. But I've been going on enough, so now I will take you into the podcast already in progress. Let's meet our cast for this week. So first up, coming to us straight from Death's Door... Um, he is the uh, man that absolutely loves Conan. He loves role-playing, and he'll tell you all about it in his blog, and that is my friend Mark. How are you doing, Mark? I am not unwell. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, that's well, good that's that to step true. up. I, I'm actually, I, I could be worse. Uh, mm. Not much worse, but, but almost worse. Uh, I am alive, though. I'm alive. I, I kiss the ground and uh, praise Jesus. So there you go. Well, that is good because, yeah, I mean, uh, I've been a little worried, you know, um, and if people were wondering, you know, why you haven't been in podcasts for a while, it's because you have not been able to because of both, you know, health issues that you're going through as well as your wife. That's um, right. 
Yeah, my wife has cancer, and uh, I have a tumescent scrotum. So uh, between the two of us, uh, we are uh, broken. <laughs> so, um, Mark, um, I, I, I don't know how much you want to share, but are, are things at least going on the uphill side? <laughs> yes, they are. Uh, Kathy, uh, she, starts, uh, she started chemo again yesterday, and this is the, the end phase of her treatment plan. Hmm. And uh, we're uh, very uh, hopeful and expecting that, that after the chemo, she'll be uh, cancer-free, you know, hmm. fingers crossed, knockwood, and all that. And uh, I am slowly recovering from a surgical procedure that happened at the beginning of the year. And... Uh, the horrible side effects uh, have, uh, have have started to go away, so this is good news. All right, excellent. Yeah, yeah, and I and I certainly hope that everything goes well for Kathy as well. Um, Thanks, man. I appreciate it. We're uh, we've been we've been really fortunate uh, to to get just an amazing amount of support, and uh, I'm uh, I'm very thankful for everybody that has expressed concern and and interest in and in, in keeping uh, keeping up with us. It, it really means a lot. Yeah, no, it's, it's certainly keep us, um, you know, informed over here as well, um, because, yeah, uh, you're, you're part of the 42 cast family, and, uh, you know, we uh, want to make sure that everything's going well for you. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, no problem. Um, so, uh, with all that going on, have you been able to do anything fun, um, you know, in the, in, the, in the last few months since you've been on the podcast? Not really. I've, uh, I've mostly been concentrating on health. Uh, stuff, but I have been uh, reading and writing and uh, working on some uh, things for later this year. Um, uh, staying caught up with all the all the shows, and uh, I've been doing some research on uh, what may end up becoming a new uh, book. So uh, nothing n- nothing I can really talk about, but fun stuff if you're me. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. So, so have you heard the news out of the Marvel camp regarding Conan? Uh, yeah. The uh, yeah <laughs> about him yeah. joining the Avengers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just uh, just curious if you could give me a soundbite on that. <laughs> uh, you know, as here's the deal. At this point, they've done a really good job of keeping Robert E. Howard's stuff in print. Mm-hmm. And as long as they make no allusions to that being anything other than, you know, a bit of fun mm-hmm. and not the thing that Howard was shooting for. You know, I don't ever want to read an article that says if Howard would have been alive, he he doubtlessly would have uh, put Conan in the Avengers. Because <laughs> then I'll have to, like, fly somewhere and beat somebody to death with a shoe. But, um, you know, I, I and I think as long as... If at any point in time somebody goes, well, what's the deal with this Conan? If they click on the internet and Google sends them to the books or my biography or uh, the Robert E. Howard Foundation page or anything like that, I think as long as that's in place, then then sure, let Conan be in, in the Avengers. Let him let him fight Spider Man and pick up Thor's hammer. Who cares? Because it's <laughs> you know that's just that's just a bit of fun, and it, and if it keeps the character out there. You know, and people talking about him and, and wondering. Everybody that, you know, maybe doesn't know Conan will read this Avenger story and go, dude, who is this guy? Mm. And, you know, that'll lead him back to Robert E. Howard. So uh, I'm cool with that. That's that that's okay as far as I'm concerned. It it may it may not all be my cup of tea, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, then again, um, 
you know, I have no illusions about the fact that, you know, uh, there's more than one way to uh, skin a cat. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, it was just that we had talked about, you know, when, when Marvel was getting the Conan license and we had just kind of like talked around about what they could do with them and stuff. And you had mentioned that as one of the things that they should not do is, you know, yeah, put them in the I Avengers. Know. And, but, I, I know. but yeah, no, I get it because, you know, it's, it's generating interest, if nothing else. And so, you know, brings right. people back to the source if they're there really interested. So, yeah, no, that's cool. It's a good way to look at it. Um, yeah. But, Mark, it is so good that you are able to join us today, and it is great to have you back. Thanks, man. I'm happy to be here, and I'm really excited to talk about what we're going to talk about. All right. Sounds good. Um, Next up, um, we have our uh, queen of cosplay, our um, Greek statue-made life, and that is my buddy Angie. How are you doing, Angie? I am good. Glad to be here. Good. Um, so what's been going on for you in the week or two since the last time you were on the show? Um, truthfully, I've been watching the second season of The Punisher. Because <laughs> <laughs> you may have agreed to be on the episode and needed to fulfill that obligation, right? <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's taken up a good chunk of my time over the sure. last week or so. Okay. No, that's fair. Hey, it was in the service of this podcast, so I'll always be cool with it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so how are you, though? Um, we're, we're doing okay. It's been kind of a uh, rough year in terms of health stuff, but uh, mm. you know, we're, we're trucking along, so can't complain too much. No oh, good. All right. Well, it is good to have you back on, Angie. Thanks. And finally... Um, you know him as the guy that hates Pluto. He is the guy that was wrong about so much from the Runaways, and that is my buddy Ryan, <laughs> my nemesis, okay. Ryan. How are, you? <laughs> How are you, Ryan? You know, if you want to call me the Magneto to your Professor X, I'm good with that, um, because he is the cooler character. <laughs> uh. And uh, I am fine, and I'm going to get back to with you on that Runaways conversation. It's just I couldn't do it from my phone to uh, the sheer volume of the words I have to tell you how wrong you are requires a keyboard. You know? Okay, <laughs> that that should be fun. Yeah, well, <laughs> honestly, I'd forgotten until you mentioned it now. So just be ready. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so, um, how have you been, Ryan? Well, you know, I mean, uh, I don't want to take away anything from you know, Mark or Angie, but I did stub my toe earlier today, so um, <laughs> I think my health crisis here needs to be discussed in detail. And, uh, you know, so I want the sympathy. Never mind anyone else. It's about me. You know? Well, for, for the record, I'm perfectly healthy. <laughs> Just everyone around me is not. And I, and I rescind all of my, uh, all of my sympathy uh, in the service of, of your big toe. <laughs> I appreciate that. Ryan. No, if only it was the big toe. It was the little toe. The tiniest one. You know? Oh, that's the, oh yeah, that's the one that hurts. That's yeah. the wee 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 all the way home toe. That's yeah. the one that's just insulting when you stub it. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, do I even need this toe? All it does is hurt. You know? Ryan, that must yes. have been very hard for you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm glad you appreciate it. Thank you, Nathan. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, but uh, and and like all seriousness, no, I just uh, I work and I come home and I try and stay up on TV. 
and that's 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 my life at the moment. Um, and uh, uh, I am just about caught up on the CW, so I have lots to talk with you about Flash and John mm-hmm. Cryer as Lex Luthor. That was awesome. Mm, yep. No, I I agree. He he did a really good job with that. Yeah. I mean, short of them being able to de-age Clancy Brown, he's, you know, <laughs> which is my dream pick because he did such a great job in the uh, Superman animated series um, as yeah. the voice of Lex. And if they could just de-age him and have him be Lex, I would be all over Clancy Brown. But um, yeah, yeah, it was it was a really good performance. It was. Yeah, I wasn't sure about the casting, but then I saw it and... Uh, yeah, he he won me over. Mm-hmm. I, for for Supergirl, I'm still I still wanted Brian Cranston, you know, for the movies. Mm. But uh, yeah, mm. yeah. Well, anything's better than Jesse Eisenberg. <laughs> <laughs> Lex know. is a guy that tries to shove Jolly Ranchers down your mouth. Oh, okay. <laughs> and and you know, makes you drink pee or whatever. <laughs> <you know>? right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I always think of Jesse Eisenberg as the guy they get when Michael Sarah says no. It's <laughs> fair. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, so, so you've just been busy watching TV. Haven't been able to do anything like you know updating your website, maybe. <laughs> or... You know, take your pick. I can stay up on TV and then do these podcasts, or I could, you know, honestly, I could do both. I really Yeah, could. I was about I, to say, you yeah. told me it only takes like a couple minutes to link your website to my show. <laughs> <laughs> you can't get away well, with that Thanks for calling one. me out, Nathan. <laughs> <You're right>. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I'd really love it if you actually put real content on your website, you know. I, I would too. I would too. And since I'm paying for it, that is the, the dream. You know? <laughs> uh, you know, I liked your Wonder Woman review. It's just too bad that you never did anymore. <laughs> well you know i mean not to pick up on a theme but maybe captain marvel i've seen it twice now so that's it's but everyone else everyone else is doing it you know way better than i could so mm. you know uh, well i, I can't just, argue I with that <laughs> <laughs> wow <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know I kid That's fun. Take on it, you know? <laughs> yeah, no. yeah, you should do a scientific graph for the MCU like you did with uh, the DCEU. There'd be, what, 23 points on it? That would actually be pretty interesting. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I can do that. But, I mean... <sighs> but if you will is the question. <laughs> I know you can. I mean, I, I, hmm... That would be interesting because, you know, obviously you'd have spikes, well, with two of the Avengers anyways. Um, yeah, that would be, yeah. Hmm. Okay, that bug, you've planted that bug. I, I can freehand it, you know, while while talking to you now. Uh, we'll see what comes of that. <laughs> okay. Cool. 42 cash, generating ideas. There you go. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, it's good to have you back on the show, Ryan. Good to be back. All right, and so now you know what time it is. It's time for the five-minute controversy. And uh, for those who... Did somebody just do a sound effect? Or did we lose Bad, someone? Badly, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, say it should have been... We that da, 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 production <laughs> generally speaking. Yes, you got to put that back in and post. That's right. Yeah. Um... 
so the for those who don't know, the five-minute controversy is just a way for us to loosen up before we talk about the topic, where we'll just examine some question that's out in the geekosphere and uh, gives you a little bit of insight into what we're thinking about, about something that's not the thing that we're going to talk about, and um, it helps us to uh, just kind of get ready for talking about something bigger. Uh, and so uh, my question this week is with all the news coming out about Disney Plus, one of the things that's been said is that it is going to contain the entire Disney Vault. Now, most articles that are reporting on this say, well, they've probably forgotten about Song of the South when they say that, or there's no way they're putting Song of the South in that Disney Vault. But I guess my question is, and I'm really curious what everybody thinks about this, do you think Disney should put Song of the South in their vault and make it open for people to stream um so ryan why don't we start with you okay honestly it's, it's a fascinating question it is mm. uh i just don't know how invested in it i am um just from an intellectual standpoint my, my feeling on the matter is if they say entire it should be entire they, they can say it's going to include almost all or most of or nearly and then they can pick and choose to their heart's content but if they're gonna make a promise that it's gonna contain the entire vault and they actually still physically have it then it should now like from a moral ethical standpoint should they actually include it or is it something that we should just forget to the past um the completionist in me says put it there because the the May, the more obscure it becomes, the more, I, I don't know if I'd say legendary, but the more fascinated people become with it, and it just becomes this object that they want for all the wrong reasons. So put it there, and people can watch it and see what's wrong with it and with a modern lens, um, or or ignore it to their heart's content if they want. Hmm. Okay. Um, Angie, what do you think? Um, that's kind of a rough one. I'm generally not in favor of hiding history, mm -hmm. um, especially not the unpleasant history. I think that's how we end up repeating history. Um, at the same time, you know, I, I, I appreciate putting quote unquote bad history in context and on a streaming service, I'm not sure exactly where you could put the context that this comes in. Um, so maybe if they did something where they did like, I don't know, a special release with like some commentary or I don't know, it's something to put it in context um, just so we don't lose it. It's there. No one's trying to hide it. But at the same time, it's not being presented uh, maybe accidentally. I mean, it's Disney. You're going to have little kids scrolling through it. So I'm, I don't know much about how Disney Plus plans to be set up. Mm -hmm. in terms of filters um but you it's definitely something that i think needs some commentary um maybe not just out there i don't know i i i mean i agree with ryan it's, i i don't it's a really interesting philosophical question but i don't know that there's a good answer sure but that's that's what makes it interesting, though, to hear people's opinions on it is because there isn't a cut and dried answer. And I think it's fair to come down on multiple different you know angles on this. So um, reasonable people can disagree. Right. Exactly. 
Um, I, you know, I, if they say it's everything and they put it in there and it's just there, I don't think I would be too upset about it. Um, I think preferably there would be something, something to contextualize it. Mm. Okay. Um, Mark, uh, what do you think? Well, uh, I agree with, uh, with both, uh, um, uh, Angie and, uh, Ryan, because I think that we're kind of at a point here where, um, we are, um, we're, we're, we're in, we are in danger of repeating some mistakes. Um, <clears throat> I absolutely think that, uh, it should be released. And I think that they can take a page from Warner Brothers. Uh, what they're doing with their uh, Looney Tunes and Tom and Jerry stuff is at the beginning of the DVD, uh, a card pops up that says something to the effect of uh, the cartoons you're about to see uh, are a product of their time. They depict um, ethnic and racial prejudices that were commonplace in American society. These depictions were wrong then and are wrong today, while the following does not represent the Warner Brothers' view of today's society. Some of these cartoons are being presented as they were originally created because to otherwise do so would be the same as claiming these prejudices never existed. Mm. And I think that is a really good, uh, succinct way of phrasing it. And I think you could start any streaming, you know, sync with that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and so, um, uh, you just modify that message, uh, for, for the two or three things in the, in the animated canon. And then you, you make a, a slightly larger pitch for song of the South. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I, I think that, uh, I, I think that putting it out there with this warning or something along those lines and then letting people get used to it. You know what I mean? Um, and you could even put, uh, you could even go one step further and put the, um, because uh, the streaming service uh, could have um, program stuff. And so that could actually be uh, uh, rated uh, TVMA, mm -hmm. right? Right. And then and then now, now your kid can't accidentally stumble across it because it won't show up. Mm. Or it'll, you know, it'll click on it and it'll be like, input the code. Now, you know, you have to do that on your TV for that to be effective. But I, I think there's a point at which it, it, we have to let people do what they're going to do, you know? Right. And, and, and uh, so I, you know, I grew up, uh, I grew up with the, with the crows on Dumbo. Uh, I grew up uh, loving the Br'er Rabbit animated stuff. Uh, and, um, you know, you look, I look back on it now and go, whoops, you know, yeah. yikes, I get what that is now, but you can't have the teachable moment. If you take the bad words on a Huckleberry Finn, you can't have a, You can't have the conversation if you don't have it out there for people to talk about. So, Hey, they want to throw away Huckleberry Finn wholesale. <laughs> they don't just take the words out anymore. They're just like, this right. is too much. <laughs> Right, it's it's a little much, and uh, and and so it's it's very frustrating. But uh, uh, I I I feel like that's the right thing for Disney to do, uh, and 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 not shirk 
from the fact that uh, some of this old material does have that stuff in it, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it, it was a different time. It was a different place. And, you know, it's, it may be uncomfortable now, but at least people have the chance to talk about it. Right. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like Disney, you know, editing out every photo of Walt with a cigarette, right? This is a cigarette. We all know he's a chain smoke. He was a chain smoker. So let's not pretend anymore. Yeah. Right. Right, it's just, it's silly, you know, it's silly. Uh, it, so yeah, that's, I, I think, I think that's where, if that's what they're going to do, then, then do that, you know, lean in, lean into it. The, the thing that Disney seems to forget is that it's an 800 pound gorilla, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and so if Disney says, this is what we're going to do, you'll have, you'll have 10 people go, well, I think that's horrible. I think that's a terrible idea. And Disney will go, you'll be missed. You know, yeah. and then everybody, and then everybody else will sign up because you know uh, our children love the Frozen or the Mickey Mouse Club or the whatever it is that they're hawking through that service, and 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 the de facto babysitter has spoken. You mm -hmm. know, yeah. there will be ten people who don't want to watch it, and everybody else will be like, "Well, I'll just you know, no, don't watch that here, honey. Watch watch all these. Here's thirty five years of the Mickey Mouse Club. Go nuts." Hey, um, I hate any kind of censorship, just on the face of it. I believe yeah. far more that you just need to label things for what they are, and right. then let people make their own. I mean, heck, you can buy Mein Kampf still, you know, today, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, it's available, you know, people can do that, you know? Um, so I'm like, you know, to me, it's, there's no reason to keep the movie away. I mean, it's it's got historical significance, the first Oscar ever won by a black actor was for Song of the South. Mm -hmm. You know, so I mean, there's historical, you know, significance there anyway. But the thing to me is exactly what you guys hit on is it needs to be in such a way that if a kid is watching Toy Story 2, that they don't scroll down, you know, or scroll up to, you know, Song of the South and just play that automatically next or whatever, because they're just randomly going through. There either needs to be something at the front of the movie like Mark was talking about. I actually think Disney should just put it, you know, make it available, but put it in a different section. So it's not in the same, like, whatever subcategory or whatever, like, their their films are in. You know, their, their, their animated, you know, cutesy films. You know, those should be in, like, one section, and then you have it, you know, Song of the South in some other section that's labeled differently, just so that kids don't, you know, just try to get into it just because they think it's something like the other movies that they're watching. Um, but, you know, be that as may, I mean, you've got people like Whoopi Goldberg even calling for that to be released because she said this would be great to release it because it would cause conversations. You know, yeah. it would have people yeah. examine, you know, race and how race has been depicted and things like that. So, and, and the other funny thing is, outside of North America, this movie is available. Right. You know, they, they've, they've taken it away. You know, it's been, you know, uh, uh, you know, never part of any kind of like VHS or DVD release in North America. But, you know, you can go to Europe or Asia and get it. So it's like, right. if they're thinking it's okay for audiences in other places, it's kind of silly you know, well, not to have it available here and just, you know, make sure that you've put that this is not something that the company endorses, it was a different time, et cetera, et cetera, but, you know, allow it to be viewed. I mean, isn't that really like the the true evil of, of Walt Disney is, or not Walt Disney, but Disney is 
the the their pursuit of the dollar. I mean, we mm. you can't see Song of the South now because of the public backlash would cost them money. But if they they can you know distribute it overseas and make money, they'll do it in a heartbeat. It it's like we're talking about this while they're prop now that they they're getting Fox, they'll probably renegotiate every uh, you know movie release. Uh, that they can it's, it's, it's definitely a certain kind of corporate hypocrisy yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely and i, I don't wonder necessarily that though i, I mean <clears throat> people it, it's something that's too personal for a lot of uh, i don't want to you i just keep thinking of like the fact that you can't look up what happened in tiananmen square in china or you can't look up like the rape of nanjing in in japan like Things that are too close to home tend to get censored, and we—that I'm yeah. adamantly against that. And I'm not saying this is equatable, but you know, where do you draw? The no, you know, Angie, you, you've got a good point, Angie. That's a really—that's uh, a—that's a good observation. I hadn't thought of it in those terms. Uh, you know, rather, you know, and, and it's really easy for me to say, you know, I want to force the argument. I, you know, I've got nothing to lose. You know what I mean? Like mm. I don't have. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm the guy that uh, you look at and go, oh, yeah, I'm not going to talk about race with you, you know. Uh, <laughs> but, but no, that's that, that is a good point. I, you know, um, I think the difference is, uh, I think while you might be right, I, for me personally, the answer is, I say rip the bandaid off, right? Like that's my solution to it. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it may it may not be uh, avarice on on the part of Disney, but rather uh, practical consideration. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah, I I just feel like nothing should be censored and everything should be available. You know? <laughs> as long as you let people know what it is they're getting into, because that's the thing. I never want somebody to be surprised by the type of content that they're about to view you know you should never have it be something like oh my god i never thought to be that i was going to be subjected to this kind of content when i started doing this movie so as long as there's an informed consent going on on the part of the audience you know i think that that solves the issue yeah although you do have to wonder like what what algorithm on Disney streaming service would be like? Oh, you've just finished season three of Futurama. We recommend Song of the South. I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, it's so inconsistent too because they've released portions of Song of the South in some of like their like collections. So like, oh, it's the Disney Music Collection. So it's like you can get the songs from Song of the South but not the movie. And you can go to Splash Mountain in Disney World, and it's all Song of the South themed, but you can't watch the movie. You know, so it's like, I don't know. I just feel like, you know, if they're going to do this piecemeal thing, just just let the movie be viewed, you know. But anyway, I have no horse in this race. I, I doubt that I would even watch it if it was available. But I, I just, on the on just the issue of censorship and the fact that, you know, people should be allowed to view things for the historical, you know, basis of it and to be able to draw analysis and, you know, make whatever conclusions that they want to, I think it should be available. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So, so not so controversial. Not, not, uh, not, not too bad for a five-minute controversy. <laughs> yes. So, uh, yeah, um... Uh, I guess we're all coming down more or less the same area on this one, so it's another five-minute controversy finished. And uh, before we talk about The Punisher Season 2, let's pause for a moment for this promo from another fine podcast.
You know it's amazing? Walking into your favorite bar or coffee shop and running into an author you absolutely love. Or bumping into an author you've never heard of before, but find your new favorite book. That's what we do on Drinking With Authors. You get to hear all the stories of what made the author's stories great and how they got there on their journey. So grab a drink and join us on Drinking With Authors. And we're back. And like we talked about at the top of the show, uh, we're going to talk about Punisher Season 2. And I know I brought it up on the first season of Punisher, but it still kind of like seems interesting to me. This is the only character aside from Spider-Man that has been rebooted this often in such a short period of time. Because, you know, the Netflix version of the Punisher is actually the third live-action version that we've had since 2004. <laughs> so I'm still just kind of like, it's just so weird that of all characters, you know, it's the Punisher that we get so many iterations of. But um, but yeah, continuing on from um, the first season and uh, and as well as Daredevil's uh, second season, uh, we have John Bernthal as the Punisher. Um, I felt with this season, and just going to open this up right away, because for me this was kind of the thing that I took away from this season the most, that I think about the most about it, is that I am surprised after Daredevil's second season got so much flack for feeling like two completely different seasons that were just kind of smushed together with the sort of like hand Electra plot and then the, um, you know, Punisher plot and how little those two plots intersected, that Punisher season two did basically the same thing. Because we have the Billy Russo plot and we have the um, the Pilgrim plot, and it, it felt like I was watching two completely different shows, you know, as we alternated between the two of them. And it made the season feel really, really disjointed to me. And while I love a lot of, like, individual things about this season, it felt like it was just really kind of helter-skelter. And I'm just curious, right off the bat, you know, from what you guys thought about just the, the overall structure uh, of the season and, you know, how well they pulled off just doing something that felt like a, you know, a story, uh, you know, a single story out of this season. So, um, Angie, let's start with you. Yeah, um, I, I don't disagree, although I think I, you and I touched on it briefly when we sure. when we talked about about it. But I honestly think that um, the, the John Pilgrim storyline was so plotting that they interspersed it with the Billy Russo stuff to keep up the energy level of this, <laughs> of this season. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't, I wonder if that was a decision made after filming had already started. Um, but yeah, I, uh, as far as the season goes, it had some touches I thought were really interesting. It had some, some really great performances and it had some really bad performances and some really bad dialogue. I thought, the, the good stuff was great, and the bad stuff was really bad. Mm. Um, so overall, kind of a middling experience, um, but definitely 
some highs and some lows. Yeah, I disagree with your analysis on some points, but I agree with your overall. So this is going to be interesting when we get into it. Ryan, uh, what, what, how do you feel about Punisher Season 2? Uh, well, I feel like it kept up the intensity of Season 1. Um, I, I would say this is easily the most intense of the the Netflix shows in the sense that you're captivated just by these people's drama. Um, it, it just comes out of this screen in so many ways. The closest other one might be Matt Murdock with his, you know, he's uh, responsible for everything bad in the world uh, <laughs> complex. Um, I, but I, I guess unlike you, I, I feel like they did a little bit better job than Daredevil season two of meshing the two storylines I, I i agree they are two definite distinct storylines but i i think the flow was just maybe a little bit it just didn't it for me it's daredevil season two was like like two different seasons in and of itself this one maybe it's because like it kind of begins with pilgrim with low-key billy russo and then in the middle is more billy russo and then uh towards the end it's kind of equal parts both um I don't know. It just felt like it was structured a little bit better in that balance. And it, it helped that, um, uh, the, 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 the guy who plays Billy Russo, whose name is escaping me at the moment. Um, he, Ben Barnes, that, you know, that he just comes across. I, I almost believed him. I mean, I'm, I, he, I was almost rooting for him at times. That's just how good he was for me. Because, um, yeah, I actually think this was worse than Daredevil Season 2. See, I don't. <laughs> because at least with Daredevil Season 2, occasionally the Punisher plotline crossed over into the hand one. There's, like, a couple of scenes, and at the very end, he's helping Matt out against the hand. In this, yeah. Billy and Pilgrim never meet. I kept expecting them to meet. I kept expecting them to join up against Frank. It never happened. You know, there was never any real interplay between their two plot lines. It just felt like, you know, other than the fact that, you know, Frank was protecting, um, oh crap, I forgot her name. See, this is why I want to do these right after I've watched them. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, the girl, um, um, Amy, Amy, thank you. Yes. So, you know, other than the fact that Frank's, you know, trying to keep Amy safe through all of it, you know, there's, there's, was no real interplay. And so I felt like. You know, I felt really kind of cheated by, by the, you know, the season because I felt like there were bigger things possible, something, you know, more interesting things. And they kind of like tried to like keep their elements like away from each other rather than letting them just kind of shake up and see what happens. That's um, where I think that's where I think it shined was in those smaller things by not going big, by just uh, having these small, brilliant moments. Hmm. OK. And uh, Mark, what did you think about Punisher season two? Who hurt you? That's what I <laughs> did, did someone used to wake you up in the morning by throwing Punisher comics at you? I don't get this. I loved it. Mm. I thought it was great. And I'll tell you, I, I did not mind the structure because at the end of season one, they make it very clear and very obvious that, that Billy is going to be Jigsaw. Mm-hmm. And so I looked at all of the stuff with the jigsaw rehabilitation and then the subsequent, you know, uh, origin, basically it's, you know, it's, you know, we got the the Punisher had an origin that really started in Daredevil season two and finished in, in Punisher season one, but Punisher season two is, is jigsaw's origin. 
and the uh, the girl on the run from the uh, from the mob and the um, the Mennonite guy. Uh, well, they can't they can't call him a Mennonite because that's mean. Uh, Mr. Mr. Religious. Um, yeah, Pilgrim, whatever, John Pilgrim. The Pil- yeah, John Pilgrim. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> and, like, I mean, you know, just call him Solomon Kane or whatever. You, <laughs> well, they did uh, at least say that that wasn't his real name. That was the name he took. Right. So, I mean, at least, you right. know. <laughs> but, but that, um, but, th- but that storyline was the, that was the inciting incident to, to, convince Frank that he, that there was a role that the Punisher could play that wasn't just bloody trail of vengeance. And, and, and I found that to be a more nuanced thing. Yeah. I mean, yes, she was annoying. Uh, and she, and it took her way longer to, uh, stop trying to fleece him and, and to eventually trust him. But th- there are some signature pieces in, in, in this uh, season that I think, uh, you know, as, as a guy who knows a lot about the Punisher, but but doesn't consider himself a Punisher fan, to me this checked every box uh, in in a way that that the movies uh, never really could or did, uh, and and mostly coming out of John Barenthal, you know, mm-hmm. uh, there, there's some there's some wonderful pieces in in, in there that uh, that are the, the, these these bursts of poetic violence. Uh, that go back and forth. And yeah, the, the, the two storylines were strident, but they were also completely different. I mean, like that, the reason why they don't mesh is because they're completely different storylines. You know, one of them is Punisher is trying to protect an innocent and, and get the innocent out of trouble. And the other one is, um, you know, everybody is concerned about this guy that ends up being the Punisher's, uh, nemesis and and in fact it's it's the deliverance that the punisher gets because he made him you know what i mean like that's mm-hmm. the that's sort of the the, the point of, of jigsaw is he is the guy on the other side of the mirror he's the he's the shadow frank right they, they're, they're essentially the same character uh it's just that you know one of them uh has a mission that that we sympathize with because you know that's horrible and the other one uh, we, we sympathize with him like, like we did with the Kingpin, but we never lose sight fully of the fact that he is crazy. And, Ooh, uh, I don't know. See, I, I, I disagree with that fully because I don't think Billy is like Frank other than the fact that they have similar background training. Um, I, ever since season one, I mean, he, he has just been about number one. You know, so I mean, whereas Frank is a loyal, honorable person, Billy was always just about amassing wealth and power for himself. So right, but, but, but when he when he when he breaks, mm. and, and when when all of this breaks in season two, and, and he's dealing with uh, memory loss, and it's producing violent outbursts, which is why he's on the meds. You know, he he he's pretty at that point. Um, he's he's irretrievably broken. In 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 so far as the the, the show is concerned, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and so that, that's what I mean by he's he's crazy, mm-hmm. um, yeah you know, yeah. Frank's honorable, blah blah blah. Frank's also a bit of a sociopath. <laughs> he just happens to be a sociopath that's doing the thing that we agree with. Like right. nobody nobody kicks uh, if somebody goes back in time and beats the hell out of Charles Manson before Sharon Tate's murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But if you go back in time and punch your old man uh, <laughs> when, when, when you're four, uh, you know, uh, that's a little like, you know, I don't know if, that, I don't know if that, that, that's the same type of thing, you know. And so, and, and yeah, so Billy is all about number one, but, but his number one um, is, uh, you know, stylistically, he's, he's the Punisher's opposite. And, and that's what they've always had um, Jigsaw be. He's always been the Joker to the Punisher's Batman, you mm-hmm. know? So. Sure. Yeah, opposite I'd go with. Um, not the same, but yeah, definitely opposite. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, just to sort of front-load things, Angie, I completely, like, disagree with you on which plot was the good plot. <laughs> I was much more interested in the John Pilgrim plot than I was the Billy well, Russo plot. Let me, let me maybe clarify and you can see if you still disagree with me okay i thought the billy plot was basically nonsensical and that it didn't follow his previous characterization at all i just find ben barnes to be incredibly compelling to watch oh and i was not interested in the evil preacher plot at all okay okay no no okay all right that's that's a little more yeah because i get it he's a much more charismatic actor um so okay i can see that um but let's talk about Frank. Okay, first off, he's our title character and everything. Um, I've loved John Bernthal um, since he appeared in Daredevil Season 2. I have never, like Mark, I am aware of a lot of information about the Punisher from the comics. I have never really cared much for the Punisher. Um, you know, to me, it just takes the idea of, you know, okay, I can fight criminals by having lots and lots of guns. You know, has just never been, you know, I, I, I like the whole idea of superheroes and or even Batman because Batman has to be really clever. You know, the Punisher is just, you know, the most brute force, you know, kind of character that there is. And that doesn't really appeal to me. Um, and I didn't care for either of the two movie iterations of the character either all that much. But Bernthal gave a heart to Frank. That has fascinated me. I mean, when he starts going one batch, two batch in Daredevil season two, and after you get the background for that, you're like weeping, you know, for this man. And, um, you know, finding out the betrayal and everything in season one, you know, I mean, he, he is just, they've not only written well for him, I feel like they've... He's done a wonderful job, you know, acting it and portraying this character. Um, I had a little bit of a harder time with Frank in season two. I'm, I'm not sure if it's things that just I disagree with or if they were just wrong about the character. Um, I, I feel like they're not paying attention to the things that they already established. Like when we have this whole thing and... I'm not sure they ever did give us a timeline, but first it felt to me just because, you know, uh, we haven't really like gotten any information on what Frank's been doing or anything. It felt like way too quick when he was trying to like get into a relationship with the woman in the beginning. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, didn't your family just die a few months ago? You know, kind of thing where it's just like, you know, when they're your whole reason for being what you are, 
you know, for you to just be like, hey, I'll try something new. I mean, it wasn't like it was a one-night stand. He even tells his buddy, you know, I was Curtis. You know, I was thinking about, you know, this is trying out, like, you know, could I have, like, a real serious relationship and everything. And that just felt, like, off to me from the very beginning. And then the other part of that is the whole thing of the reason that the relationship is called off isn't just isn't because he can't deal with it or he can't deal with everything that happened with his family and you know his sort of desire to you know keep people safe it's because she just got hurt because stuff happened to happen around him and he's now believed that that's just a thing now that stuff's always going to follow him around bad stuff or whatever and i just I didn't really feel like that was the best reasoning for it not working, even if he did try it. And, you know, I was kind of kind of uncertain about that. And then the whole thing with Billy and not knowing what he was going to do about Billy and just all the waffling and everything just kind of, I don't know. I, I just, I didn't like him as much this season as I had in previous seasons. Um and, uh, and and I hate that because because you know like I say I, I really got I was really excited for <laughs> the Punisher series, um, but uh, so Mark, um, how did you feel about Punisher this season? Yeah, I I, I liked it. Uh, uh, I think it was I I liked it better than season one. Okay. Uh, I think it had more dimension than season one. Uh, season one was essentially. Um, well, you know, it, yeah, it's an origin story, but it's basically season one was cleanup from, you know, aisle nine. Uh, you know, they, they spilled all that stuff in Daredevil season two and, and spent all of season one uh, wiping it up, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, so to speak. Um, I like that, that at least in season two here, he starts out thinking, you know, now that that's done, I think my mission can be over. Uh, I think that was, I think that was intentional on the part of them. You know, uh, he'd avenged his family, right? So technically there's no need for him to be the punisher anymore. The problem is when you put him in a bar and if there's shady stuff going down in that bar, he's kind of like a cop in that he's never off the job. Right. Mm. He, you know, he can spot guns in people's, you know, jackets and he can tell when someone's being manhandled and he can, you know, he's just got that kind of danger sense. That makes it, and you know, and you see it on his face. You know, first of all, he agonizes over whether he should go back to the, the bartender, and then he agonizes over whether or not he should get involved in the bar. You know, it's like there's a certain. I, I like that struggle initially, like, ah, you know, if I, if I do this, you know, then this is going to get ugly. And of course, the, the 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 thing is, is you know, he doesn't know how ugly. He just thinks he's going to stop. You know somebody from manhandling a teenage girl, you know, but he didn't realize that, you know, that they came to play. Mm-hmm. And, and that, 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 that giant fight is reminiscent of the hallway scene in Daredevil, you know. It, oh, oh, oh it, yeah, physically, or, all the fighting stuff that Frank does and the, and the way that he, like, takes people on everything, I love it. I, I think that they've done just as well this season with the fights as, as they have in the past. But this is, I think, Nathan, I can't remember if I've, if I've talked to you about this before regarding the Punisher. You know, he can't, He was created in the 70s at a time when Marvel was desperately casting around for characters that would resonate in a, in a world they had kind of, you know, uh, lost track of. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, 
that's where I'm, that's where we got, you know, the black exploitation characters. That's where the Kung Fu characters came from. That's where all the women characters came from. These were all things that were happening, you know, in, in popular culture and in the culture at large. And the Punisher is the uh, lone vigilante uh, renegade guy slash death wish character mm-hmm. that was really popular in the late seventies and eighties. He's, you know, he's dirty, Harry, he's uh, Charles Bronson. Uh, and, and, and he is that character. And, and at the time there just wasn't anything like it. You know, the idea of this guy shooting people, you know, instead of webbing them up for the, uh, for the police was anathema. Like they did, people didn't know what to make of that. And, you know, well, over the they, years, they started him off as a guy trying to kill Spider-Man on top of that. Right. He wasn't even going for right. the bad guys. <laughs> so, so, they, so, yeah, I mean, so that's kind of a thing where, you know, over the years, there's been a drift on the Punisher. And he's become the guy that's cool because he can shoot all the other uh, people in the Marvel Universe. And, and, and it's kind of gotten away from that source material. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why the movies have never worked is because, you know, in the movies, one guy with a gun is not original. It's not like, you know, he's the, this is the only movie of that, you know, uh, by the time the first Punisher movie came out, we'd had all the Chuck Norris movies. We had all the Rambo movies. We had Schwarzenegger and commando. We'd had all these things on top of all the death wishes. There's a part in death. There's a uh, death wish five. He's leading a, an urban army for crying out loud. <laughs> so you bring the Punisher and you go, see, he shoots the bad guys. And everybody goes, yeah. And <laughs> so I think that this one did a, the best job of balancing uh, this series, but, but particularly season two, did the best job of balancing some of those crazier comic book elements, which is what makes the Punisher interesting, you know, uh, going up against, John Pilgrim is this like, strange, almost uh, almost a vertigo kind of a villain, right? You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's very, very 90s kind of a thing. Uh, and Barenthal's portrayal of the Punisher uh, is, is wonderful. He is not just a blunt instrument. He's got, he thinks, he's got a heart, he's got a conscience. He, he, he knows what he's doing is is, you know, red in the ledger, right? It's wet work. He knows that. He's got no illusions about it. He just doesn't know if he wants to take out... Yeah, you know, he, he, he felt bad about beating Billy Russo up the first time, you know? Mm-hmm. Now now they, now he's got to kill him? You know, why couldn't I just beat him up and, and gone away? You know, like, that was what he wanted to do. He wanted to leave that behind and go start a new life. And, of course, you know, you don't always get to make those choices in the Marvel Universe, right? Sure. So I, I I loved it. I mean, I I thought it worked, uh, and I I thought there was uh, you know uh, there were some slow moments as there have been in all of the Netflix shows, but they have all spoke to character, and that's what I think is significant about uh, the writing that they've kind of managed to do for well most of the shows. We won't talk about other ones, but uh, <laughs> but certainly the Punishers and the Daredevils, even the slow episodes had character development. Uh, they moved something forward, whether it was Billy getting worse or Frank getting better or, you know, the two having a breakthrough or whatever. And then, you know, periodically there's like four times in the, in the series where, you know, uh, where, where they do an action scene. that's just like straight out of the comics, you know, the, the, the thing where, uh, he, he, he comes down the hallway and he's got the two guns 
you know, in each hand, you know, that's, that's quintessential Punisher. And it's, and it's, and it's a huge moment because we haven't seen that, you know, that's, that doesn't go through all the series, you know, it's, it's sufficiently, it should be a big moment, you know? So yeah. I, I thought, I thought it worked. I thought it worked really well. And, uh, I don't, uh, I don't think it was, um, uh, worse than season one. I, I don't like it better. Actually. Yeah. Oh, two other things that I had forgot to mention in the beginning that just bothered me. One was when he tells Amy that if she had been a boy, he wouldn't have paid any attention. And I just felt like that added an element of sexism that that didn't need to be there with this version of Frank. She was a kid. And that's what I said at the very beginning. I was like, oh, he's following because it's a kid that might be in trouble. And of course, he's thinking about his kids. You know, and so I I didn't like that, and I don't know why they put that in there, why they put that line in there, but it just seemed like, yeah, no, I, I think the I think <laughs> Frank would, would pay attention to any kids that might be in trouble just because of what happened to his. And the other thing was the idea that, the idea of collateral damage of someone dying in the middle of a shootout that wasn't part of it would break him so thoroughly that he was just willing to die. I found that really hard to believe. You know, while I feel like he would try his best to keep any innocence from dying, I, I and I can't believe that it's never happened before, is the other thing. That with all the shooting he's ever done, that that no one's ever gotten hurt before that wasn't, you know, a target. In, in, the, in the comics, there's they're, 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 before they got nuanced on the character, mm. uh, there was, I'm sure, collateral bullets and stuff like that. Or he used rubber bullets and didn't tell anybody. But I like the fact that... I, I no, I I did I liked it I, because because I, now I as soon as I saw it I thought oh no Frank don't fall for it it's a trick you know like it, I I knew it was a trick that he that that Billy had already killed those those people um, those girls so I I was it, it wasn't oh, why? It, it wasn't quite the aha moment that I thought it was that that I think they wanted it to be mm-hmm. but. Uh, but I like the fact that he, you know, was was trying to only kill the people that were bad, and and you know, thought that he had done that he that he gunned down innocent women. You know, I thought right. that was interesting. No, I mean, uh, yeah, I just feel like the idea that he's done as much as he's done, and it's never happened before, and he hasn't had to deal with this, and that it would break him so thoroughly. Because even as a soldier, I mean, sometimes you know people die that aren't meant to, and so I feel like he would already be prepared for that idea that when you're in war, you know, sometimes there is you know unfortunate you know collateral damage of life, and uh, but, but, I. Uh, but see, that's the thing. This isn't collateral damage; it's meat shields. That, that's what the that's the difference is you know uh, accidents happen in the fog of war. This this wasn't the fog of war. This was Jigsaw putting innocent people in harm's way, right. knowing that Frank was going to shoot through the wall. And, and right, no, 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 I know that. But but to Frank, it's a war. To Frank, he is he is fighting a war. Um, you know, there's the whole idea from Daredevil that, again, I think the writers have forgotten that his like because of the brain damage that he suffered, he's in permanent flight or fight. You know, that, that his brain is constantly in that mode. And, um, you know, I, I felt like this season kind of forgot about well, that. It's, it's, um, also. it's not just that. It's, it's a matter of control. Billy pushed Frank. That, the, the whole beating him up, all of that was to push him to lose control. I mean, yeah. even mm. during war, even through C- Daredevil Season 2, Punisher Season 1, Frank got angry with the possible exception of what he did to agent orange. Frank was in control every second 
um, of of his actions, except for then Billy pushed him over the edge, and Frank lost it, and that's why Frank uh, uh, felt like it was it wasn't just a fog of war, it wasn't a friendly fire. This was his own personal failure. Right. Hmm. I don't understand why Billy killed them. Like Frank would have killed them. Because you can't be sure that Frank is going to hit them exactly to kill them. You know, even if you know Frank's going to shoot through the wall, you don't know for sure that the angle's going to be right, that he's going to hit them, A, or B, that it's going to be a lethal shot. So he shot them to make sure that it, that they died. In a very easily so that, provable way that it was Frank. That's yeah, right. exactly. No, Solved in one episode, half of an episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, but we got to see Deborah Ann Wall for probably the last time, so but, I guess it's worth but it. More than that, for me, <laughs> what that frame job did, that's when rebooted Billy crossed the line. Every, I mean, he had been rebooted. I, at that point I, and throughout the season, I genuinely believed that he didn't remember. You know, the pain when he found out that it was Frank that did this to him, it came through the screen. And when he did that, when he killed those women, that was passing the point of redemp- any sort of redemption he could have possibly Wait, 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 wait. Rebooted Billy had already shot his own people, had, you know, robbed, you yeah, know, they were uh, places. All- they were criminals. <laughs> I mean, it works for Frank. <laughs> You know, <laughs> uh, no, even, killing even, allies. It doesn't matter if they're criminals. It does. Even it's, Frank had no problem with Billy. Even Frank had no problem with Billy killing the guy who uh, molested him or, or attacked him as a, a child. You know, Frank. Frank right. was like, "Oh, oh, yeah, guy had it coming." You know, I mean. Well, no, no, that's different. No, I, I would, I would definitely say that that's different, but. Um, but you know, I mean, he's he's robbing places and yeah, doing all this other stuff. I mean, Billy was no longer he was no. I mean, he, it's not like the rebooted Billy was just like, oh, you know, I want to do good things no, and I want to be a philanthropist, and I'm gonna. I just think that was crossing <laughs> a line where prior to that, he, from a moral standpoint, hadn't done anything that Frank had it did. You know, he killed criminals. Frank killed criminals. Frank stole. He stole. I mean, up until that, up until he killed those women, he and Frank were on the same moral uh, ground. Which is why I don't understand why he killed them. If the point was to show that Frank was no better than him, then he should have let Frank kill or maim or otherwise frighten the ladies. Like it, the fact that he did it, it like negates his whole argument with himself. Hey, Angie, they only had like two or three more episodes <laughs> to the season. They just needed to bring this thing to a close. <laughs> That's why I say it, it felt, it, I don't know, it didn't feel like it was as put together as the previous they season. It, it felt like the, there was the some. The kid who, if she's 16, I'm a fire truck. Um, <laughs> hang on to Donnie's clothes for half an episode. That would have been cool. <laughs> I will say this. I don't know if this is going to be controversial. I loved Frank's relationship with Amy. I mean, you might hate the character or whatever, but I love that sort of I like weird, yeah, that weird paternalistic, yeah. you know, uh, relationship that he had with yeah. her. And um, well, that goes to what you said you had a, a problem with earlier about the fact that he said if if she hadn't been if she had been a boy, he would have just ignored it. Um, that's because in Frank's mind boys become men sooner. I mean, at her age, Frank was probably already signed up for the military or planning to. Um, and so it's just, it's his mentality. This goes to the brilliance and the writing of the characters. They're not trying to, to modernize him. They're saying, this is a guy who is, 
you know, pretty right of center who, uh, but is still at its core, a likable person. Like for me, what I was watching for was how he was going to react to finding out the Senator, uh, the Senator was gay. I mean, even they, they played it up to the point that, we never found out what Frank thinks about homosexuality in the entire season. I, I don't think he cares. I, I think it doesn't affect him. He doesn't give a shit. But at the same time, it, just from his upbringing and his life, I was kind of curious where they where they were going to go with that because this is an opportunity with this character to do things that they don't do with other Marvel characters. Interesting thought. Yeah. Well, uh, I, just, I also. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I, real quick, I was just going to say uh, that I I felt like. Um, that was more of a political statement than uh, than a social statement. You know, the idea that uh, this whole thing, this giant bloody trail of vengeance, all the dead people, the the, the uh, police station shot to sh- all of it, was to keep people from finding out that the senator was homosexual. You know, and 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 the the triviality of that to me was. Uh, was significant, you know, for that, all of these people had to die. You know what I mean? Like that's, yeah. you know, that, that was sort of the indignant part of it that, that, um, that, that really, for me, uh, helped to sort of, uh, uh, make, I, I didn't care at the end, uh, what Frank did because I was just like, yeah, you know what? You guys are not good people. <laughs> you know, right. I'm sorry. Did you go ahead. What were you going to say? Oh, I just, I don't. Frank's not a reliable narrator, and I think if she had been a boy, he still would have helped. Honestly, whether 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 he admitted that to her or not. That's a very that's a very right. Good that's point. what I was yeah. thinking too. He, that he might have just. Yeah, that that is. I was thinking the same thing. That I mean, he was full of something, you know, and and he didn't. <laughs> that he would have helped a boy too. I just don't know why he said that to her. If that, well, but yeah, because I mean, Frank had a son and a daughter. I mean, he. I mean, it, it, I don't see why he would care about a honestly, girl, you know, and, and be more protective, because I he because it's the thing. Like Ryan says, like even though like he he comes off in some ways as like right of center, I've never gotten a sexist vibe from him. Like he doesn't look at Madani and be like, hey, make me the coffee or anything <laughs> like that. That, you know, like he views Madani as, you know, uh, like any other, you know, agent, you know, I mean, so I don't I, mean, I, don't, I, I, I actually I thought one of the themes they were following this season was um, unfortunately, they they kind of ham handedly threw in a bunch of gender commentary that I found um, irritating more than anything else. But I, I think part of it was the build up to Frank killing Annette O'Toole at the end. I don't know what her name was in the show. Um, yeah. But, you know, after, you know, all of the commentary with Nani, like, oh, he wouldn't kill women and children. Oh, he, you know, he, he has a code sort of thing. And he, you know, basically gave up the ghost when he thought he'd killed those women. Then to have him at the very end kill a woman without flinching. Um, I think well, they were trying to say something there. Uh, and I base that on just like. Man, some of the dialogue between the doctor and Madani was cringeworthy. <laughs> yes. And that's the thing, because it's like, yeah, the women and children thing. Like, yeah, I don't think Frank would ever kill a child, but yeah, women, sure, if they're criminals, well, and Frank's the gonna get them. It's like, yeah, if they're evil, what's the difference? Kill them. But um, so I, I actually think that was something deliberately done, where you're kind of. I, I don't know if they were trying to show a progression of Frank's thinking or or what. Uh, I don't think it really played well, to be honest. But I think that's that's where it was coming that's, from. That's funny because, like, in the very first episode. 
it opens up with Frank going, you know, pulling zero punches and fighting two women uh, in in the at the bar and in, in the, in the I know. Which was why it was so surprising. I feel like the first two episodes were to- were written by totally different people. <laughs> first two episodes of the season were fantastic. I was just happy to see Juliana from Man in the High Castle. <laughs> but then she got written out. Yeah, I had to IMDb her because uh, I-, I recognized her, but I couldn't place her. Well, that's because you still haven't yeah. watched more than the first season, Ryan. Yeah, valid. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I I felt like there were some problems with Frank this season, but you know, I still like John Bernthal. Well, see that that's just that Frank is a flawed, so very flawed, <laughs> flawed character. That's exactly right. You know, you got to remember that uh, you know if you do the Punisher right, to do the Punisher right is to invite a conversation on what you're willing to accept in the pursuit of justice. Uh, like, like that's the whole point. You know, he's not really somebody to emulate or, or to get behind. Right? And and we only we should like him because you know he's a blunt instrument uh, in in a world of of sharp corners. But but I, um, you know, I think one of the things that I what, what that I did like about it. I, actually, you know, Angie, it's funny you brought that up about the fight because um, my first thought was. Uh, did he just hit her in the sight? Well, she was trying to kill him. Right. <laughs> like that was my, that was my thought process, and it's like you know, I, I think I think in the Punisher's certainly in the Punisher's world, if someone is trying to kill you, it's okay to hit them back. Um, yeah, I mean, I, and that may actually be. I mean, I commented on the fact that the first fight in the first episode starts with him hitting women, which is kind of still a bit of a taboo, you know, in network television. Um, so yeah. I. Th- thought the show was going a certain way and I, maybe that, that's why I'm so irritated that it didn't um, right. but, but yeah I I feel like I don't know maybe the, the first couple of episodes seem totally divorced from the rest of the show mm-hmm. yeah. and I loved they, those first couple of episodes that yeah, I, mean, I was all on board for those <laughs> Well, yeah. and you know what was different about those is he wasn't in New York yeah. If they'd kept it like road trip, Frank, that would have been an entirely different vibe uh, than what we got. Right. But yeah, yeah to, to, to tie it in with Billy, they brought him back to New York. But I almost feel like I wanted a season of Frank trying to fight off these people while figuring out what was going on as he's like going across America. And, and I felt like I was kind of cheated out of that promise. Yeah, it, if, you, if, you, if you remember the Punisher comics from the uh, 80s and 90s. Uh, Punisher War Journal, in fact, was really known for, sometimes they would do a two-part story and then they'd follow it up with a six-part story. And then they'd do a three-part story. And then they'd do an eight-part story. And if you look at, um, if, you, if you look at one, two, and three together, right, the, the, at the end of three, the, the police station's been shot up, the cop gets back in, uh, they're having conversations and they all go to New York. You can, you can view that as like chapter one of, of this series, which would be three issues of the comic book. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, 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 um, I yeah, there, there definitely is some shifts in, in tone. And, and it is uneven in that you're dealing with a sociopath. That's the thing you got to yeah. keep saying. Right. He's well, not I, Spider-Man. I, you know, I, his, Frank's code is is built off of an entirely different moral compass 
than Spider Man, than Luke Cage's. You know what I mean? And, He's out there with a the button going on. And on top of that, it's fudgeable. I mean, whether he kills him or not could just depend on what sort of mood he's in. Right. Probably. Yeah. yeah. I, I liked Pilgrim a lot more as that implacable force that was just coming after him, a man that could be his equal physically and and tactically and was, you know, just there. And I, you know, I just felt like once they moved it to New York and Pilgrim was uncomfortable and everything else, that all of that stuff, I, I didn't need that because I don't really felt like it went anywhere interesting. And, you know, I, yeah. yeah. I felt like that part fizzled out, and that was the part I liked so much in the first three episodes. Well, was that, That's a mixed know. bag, right? Because by taking it to New York and you get Pilgrim's past, he becomes a more three-dimensional character. Prior to that, he was just this you know, carbon copy villain. Right. Mm-hmm. right. I don't know sort how of, much uh, more we got the backstory yeah. <laughs> as much well, as i'd love to see lieutenant fusco again but yeah I, we know he was a mobster at some point yeah i don't i think i think a little goes a long way with that again we're dealing with you know all of these people their solution to things is shoot it in the face so <laughs> there's only so much you can do there uh and you know it's it, it I, this is the deal this is one of the things that you know what works on the comic book page uh, in the comic book universe, you know, when you read a Punisher comic, you instinctively know he's in the same universe with Reed Richards and, you know, uh, Ben Graham. So uh, even, even if they're completely absent, you're, you are being informed by 616, right? Uh, in, mm-hmm. in the movies or in the TV show in this case, we have a very different set of criteria. And so, you know, it, this is the kind of thing where, you know, they tell me Punisher was canceled. And I'm like, you know, I'm okay with that. You know, the two, the two seasons I got, if I need Punisher, or two and a half, if you can't remember. Uh, to me, uh, Bernthal's uh, castle is the best one to date. And it supplants uh, all the other ones. And, uh, and I really like them a lot. So... But but I, but the thing is is you know what would season three have looked like you know what I mean yeah. like there's yeah. a point where there's a point of diminishing returns on the Punisher because his solution is always going to be shoot it in the face so, so <laughs> well I wanted I wanted a season of Punisher and Kingpin that would be my Punisher season three uh, it would have been really cool if they could have if we could have gotten a six part or an eight part season that merged Daredevil and Punisher back in again with Elektra and Bullseye and all that. I mean, that would have been fun. That would have been great. But I, see, I don't think you need those characters, though. We could do something completely new that isn't trying to adapt the comic storyline just because we had those two episodes of Daredevil where Punisher and Kingpin were in the prison together, yeah. and that just worked great. Those two played so well off each other. Well, and so I would like to see Bernthal and D'Onofrio, you know, at odds, you know, for a yeah, season. That, that can only end one way. <laughs> and then, but and then, yeah. no, no, see, I, I disagree because I think the Kingpin's clever enough to make sure that he doesn't get off. So, well, one of, um, one of the best Punisher stories was the first five issue miniseries that they did with Mike Zek artwork, where uh, he 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 is going to jail, and you know, of course, he gets to jail, and and everybody knows it's him, and so of course, it becomes the deal of you know, I've got to survive. It's basically assault on precinct thirteen you know, it, on the inside with the Punisher trying to get out. 
But but yeah, you your options are really limited uh, in this medium because you have to do something that isn't like the other two things, but is also unmistakably punisher esque. So mm-hmm. I, I I don't know, you know, once you get past Jigsaw and Kingpin, you don't really have there's not another uh, like Punisher thing that stands out as like oh yeah that's the that's the quintessential Punisher story. Uh, yeah, I was surprised they killed Billy off. I mean, I don't know if they knew they were getting canceled or if that was an alternate ending and when they got, you know, word that yeah, it's probably going to happen that they they put that one in. But I I, I uh, yeah, I thought that that was short-sighted of them if they thought that they were getting renewed to kill Billy that's, off. That's how they play with expectations in this show. I mean, right. that scene was so powerful. I mean, Billy just didn't want to die alone and I my heart is breaking for him and then Frank's like, eh, boom, you know, he's gone. You know, then boom, well, boom no, again. No, in that situation I feel like Frank yeah, if Frank hadn't killed him, it would have felt false. But I I would have probably had Billy get away and not get to that point if I had been <laughs> if I had been writing it just to, to you know, so that he gets away to come back another day kind of thing. Just like uh uh Dumont you said, he's alive, he's gonna come for me. Eh. <laughs> I felt like that last episode just kind of fizzled because, like, the stuff with, you know, Pilgrim just kind of, you know, kind of fizzled out and the thing with Billy just kind of fizzled out. You know, he just slowly died over the course of an episode. It's just kind of like, okay, okay, let's get this on, you know, let's get this over with. Uh, I don't know. Um, let's talk about Madani, um, who I absolutely loved. Um in season one and in this season I understood her even though I found her a little bit harder to take because um, she's the one person that knows she has been she has been violated emotionally you know by by Billy and she just cannot let it go and I I appreciated that aspect <laughs> I thought that her putting the pieces together took way too long because <laughs> my wife and I kept going, okay, that's it. She's going to, she's going to figure it out now. Right. That, that Billy and, and, um, Oh crap. The second Dumont. Oh, Dumont. Yeah. That, uh, I see, I keep on, uh, wanting to call her Maggie from Supergirl. Yeah. <laughs> that's another one that took me. <laughs> Who is she? Oh, you didn't recognize her right off the bat. I knew right off Not the bat. And it's like, Oh, this is why you left uh, national city. Um, but, uh, um, you know, that, uh, that, that they were together and stuff. And, and so that just kind of, so I felt like they were kind of undervaluing Madani a little bit in this, in this season. But, um, I did love the fact that she was just like zeroed in on Billy is trash. You know, he's using you, all of this bad stuff's going to happen. The funny thing was, of course, he wasn't at the time, you know, when she was, but she knew that if his memory came back, that he was going to be that same guy again. So, um, yeah, um, but yeah, so what do you guys think about, um, Madani this time around? Um, Angie, what do you think about Madani? Um, I liked her more this season. Frankly, she should have been right. Uh, Based on how, like, real life works, if Billy was the sociopath that he's portrayed in the first season, his story arc makes no sense in the second season. He should have been playing everybody. Even if he didn't remember, he shouldn't have fallen for the doctor. Like... I don't know. I was, <laughs> I think I was just as disappointed as she was that he wasn't 
understand. Right, that's the thing. I I expected him to sleep with her, and I expected that to go that. I, at first, I was kind of surprised and pleasantly surprised that they weren't going that way. But then eventually, they did go that way. But I thought for sure this is his plan. He sees that she sees him as some broken person that needs to be fixed like the notes that he was reading. And and so he's like, so I'll play that part. I'm the broken person that needs to be fixed. Let me, you know, you're doing this for me. So the more he gives her to make her happy, the more she'll help him out. And then it was like, in the end, it's like, oh no, we really were in love. And it's just like, what? You know, (laughs) it kind of had me scratching my head there for a bit. But anyway. Yeah, I, I liked her better this season. She wasn't my favorite in the first season. I liked her a lot more. And I was, I definitely... She had some moments where she was really wishy-washy and that was frustrating until I really thought about, you know, this is a person who started out just like Mahoney. Mm -hmm. And at the end, while Mahoney managed to keep his, you know, his his philosophy, essentially, Madani's broke and she had to go a different way. And so her wishy-washiness, well, kind of annoying to watch in real time, actually, I thought was very appropriate and thinking back on it i thought was a a good touch and you know she's a great actress i yeah i really enjoy watching her when she's on screen she's like alarmingly pretty yes Uh. (laughs) (laughs) strikingly yes (laughs) um so yeah I, i enjoyed her performance quite a bit yeah uh yeah i mean there are things that yeah i don't know i i found her i don't know it's it's it'll sound evil if I say it, but I found like her like you like hey Frank you can't torture people like thing to be like just a little bit like look hun <laughs> Frank murders people okay and you're okay with that but you're not okay with him torturing you know it's just one of those things that yeah I don't think torture is good but you know if you're okay with Frank and what Frank does and how he does it I have a weird feeling about how you can say that torture is you know, something you shouldn't do um, because, you know, he does things worse than torture. So yeah. I well, just... And I did wonder how on earth she kept her day job. It's not like the <laughs> Department of Homeland Security has totally clean hands either. Um, so... <laughs> uh... you know. But acting-wise, I enjoyed the performance. Yeah, no, I, I think she's a good actress, too. But, yeah, I think I think they gave her some writing that wasn't necessarily the best. But I didn't feel like she had it as bad as some other people. Um, Ryan, what do you think about Madani? Uh, I kind of see where, where you, you were both coming from in the sense that um, season I, – I, I, I know where Madani was coming from season two. I didn't necessarily like it, but I – could empathize with her. I could understand her in a way that I couldn't necessarily or didn't really uh, in season one. In season one, she was just the antagonist to Frank. In season two, she was the reluctant ally. Well, no, and so it's in season one, she, she was only the antagonist to Frank for like the first four or five episodes. And then she started seeing that maybe he wasn't the problem and everything else. So I don't I don't know about that. And yeah, he she was the antagonist in the sense that she saw him as a piece to the greater puzzle that she was trying to solve, mm. um, which you know basically the death of uh, of her first her translator sure. and then her partner mm-hmm. and then uh, in season one, um, but in season two, it's almost like you know we commented that it the first three episodes were chapter one and had a different feel. They had to go back to New York, and part of it was for Billy, but the other half of that was for Madani. 
I, as much as I enjoyed her performance, as much as I, as we've already mentioned, you know, she could be on the screen doing absolutely nothing. It wouldn't matter. Um, <laughs> I, I would still be streaming it. Uh, I almost feel like she wasn't really necessary to the to this season, or at least not to the uh, quantity that we had her. Uh, basically, honestly, my what I enjoyed her most with was her and Mahoney, their relationship. Yeah. Um, because yeah, suddenly he became the North star, the, the, the incorruptible, um, agent that she was, uh, in, in season one. I, I only have issues because I don't want anyone to dethrone Turk as the glue that holds the Mar- Marvel Netflix series together. <laughs> <laughs> because now that Rosario Dawson is out, Turk is the thing that holds all these shows together. It is the Turk. Netflix universe. Uh, you know, although he's been absent a couple of times, but yeah. Just the one time he has been in every other season, but yeah, no, I know. He's been absent one time. Um but uh but yeah, um Yeah, the um the stuff with uh, Mahoney was good. Um, and I agree with you that she wasn't necessary, except that since they did decide that this was Billy's end, which I guess speaks more to the fact that it couldn't have been an alternate ending because, you know, I, I think she needed to be there to just yeah. get the closure. Yeah. So that that was why she was necessary to have in the season. Well, then she could have been, um, like, a few episodes in the beginning and a few at the end or something like that. It just didn't... I, I Again, I, I don't want to complain because... Yeah, Madani, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I do feel like maybe the time could have been spent in other ways to improve the show. I don't feel bad about talking about Madani this way because of the way that the female guest talked about Chris Hemsworth in the Thor Ragnarok episode. <laughs> so I feel like it's perfectly fair for us to do this. But yeah, but yeah I'm, I'm glad other people mentioned it because yowza, you know, it is rare for someone to look, you know, for me to be like that kind of like wow uh when somebody's on screen and she is very pretty without a doubt this show between her and ben barnes i mean talk about beautiful uh (laughs) they would have had they would have had like the ugliest babies ever (laughs) (laughs) i just every time someone commented on like his face not being so pretty anymore i just laughed like Oh god, yeah. All right, we're gonna get to him in 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 a minute, but uh, yeah, I I got some problems with um, quote unquote jigsaw. But um, Mark, <laughs> how do you feel about Madonna? I um I feel I I okay. Um, I liked that she and Mahoney sort of traded places in terms of the story. Um, Mm -hmm. but here's the deal. I didn't, I kind of could have taken her or left her. I, I, you know, she didn't, she she wasn't the weakest part of the show for me, but she was the part of the show where I, I found myself drifting the most because, um, all the, the obsessing over, over, uh, Billy was, it, it felt felt like someone who could not let go of an abusive relationship and um and the and the the answer to the abusive relationship was to was to intern stalk so that i had a real problem with um i did not have a problem with her interacting with castle um i but but i guess the reason why i sort of let it go was because they were dealing with all the collateral damage, the pieces, if you will, uh, that 
season one drop. So it was inevitable that they were going to have to have her come to grips with this. Right. So that's, I just yeah. left it at that. Um, I, I, I wish I saw her the way you guys saw to see her. Uh, I, I don't, but um, you know, then again, I'm old and sad and you shouldn't listen to me. I, I will say this about Madani. I, I think that her reaction is a real one. I mean, it's not rape in a general, genuinely like accepted form of the term, but he was he was deceptive and while having a physical relationship with her in a way that you know and and used in a you know used her in a way that feels I could see how emotionally that could be in the same sense of, you know, uh, uh, a feeling very similar to rape to her. And I think that just that level of having the, the, you know, just, just having the fact that he's there and she's, you know, she's part of the justice system that put him away while also having that problem. I think I think they were they were talking about something that that would feel very real to people who had been in similar circumstances of violation. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, and so I think that that was the, that they were going. I, I think it was a very real emotion, whether or not you think that she was being the best. I mean, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's self destructive to like you know, it's like somebody who who just keeps poking a a, a wound, right? Yeah. You know, to to like constantly just stare at him, you know, in the hospital, you know, it's self-destructive. It's horrible that she was doing that to herself. I think it's very real. And I think that other people in that same circumstance, which I know it's kind of outlandish because it's kind of a weird circumstance, but similar circumstance would would do the same thing if they could. Right. Um, you know, by rights, she should have been right. And her wanting to maybe protect the world from Billy is not. It's not, it's it's a goal that most people would agree with. And I think yeah. the fact that, I mean, her trying to warn the doctor was right. It, I mean, she, the type of person who can kill your partner and then put you in the bath and help you wash off the, his blood is, that that is a monster that is not human. Totally, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, so, and that's... I mean, she was right about his nature, if not about his actual plan, you know. And, and, and they've established she's a bit of a control freak. I mean, he came into her apartment and her reaction was to clean it. I, I mean, she she obviously is a very tightly controlled individual. And part of her story this season was losing that control and learning to be OK with it. Um, the obsession comes from the fact that she she feels like she can't save the world from him. Like she couldn't save herself and now she can't save anybody else. Mm-hmm. So, and I think it makes sense that in the end, the, 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 you know, complete circle for her arc is that she's back overseas. Yeah. Yeah. You know, protecting the world again, rather than, you know, she came back to the, to New York for a reason. You know, she was trying to follow the chain back to figure out what had happened, you know, um, in Afghanistan, you know, to the uh, translator, but there's there's no reason for her to be there anymore. So she's back out in the world again. Well, it, but at the same time, it's also she's with uh, the CIA, right? So I mean, right. arguably, she's with Frank. If nothing else has taught her that maybe it's not all as black as black and white as she once thought. So now she's in definitely a grayer area. Mm. Uh, you know. Sure. She's she's honestly, in a way, she's kind of following the same path that uh, uh, Agent Orange uh, career path that he did. So she's just got to be careful there, you know. 
Well, you either die the hero or live to see yourself become the villain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, uh, Curtis, let's talk about Curtis briefly. Um, I love Curtis. I think Curtis is great. And, um, you know, the whole idea of him wanting to help the friend, but just the wariness. Because Curtis hasn't had the trauma that Frank's had, right? So he has these bonds with Frank. But he's just becoming wary of it because he's having to, you know, get into all this stuff that he thought he left behind. And so I just liked all that interaction. I felt like all the thing of how he's he's there for Frank whenever he needs him, but his just frustration and growing, like, desire to just, like, I just want this over now. I, I totally related to, to him, and I just absolutely thought that he was great. Um, Ryan, what do you think about Curtis? Yeah, I mean, he's a he's a fan favorite. Um Honestly, the only thing that I found, uh, if I had to find one thing about him which wasn't convincing, was the fact that he'd never killed anyone uh, up until that point on the roof. I, I don't know why, but I, I, granted, he was a medic, and mm-hmm. and so I, it's entirely possible, and it makes sense, honestly, with his character. Maybe the reason he can be not quite as uh, – he can be more optimistic than Frank is because he is a healer, and so he did something – that's so counter to nature there. But uh, I don't know. It seems like he had all that training that he had used it before then. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it, again, Curtis, though, it, like you said, he's kind of like the glue that holds their little group together. Um, yeah. <laughs> Billy can get uh, Frank through Curtis. Kurt, you know, Frank can get. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of interesting to look at. And I, I feel really bad for him trying to keep a relationship going. <laughs> oh, no, I know. And yeah. she's calling him out on it when it's like he can't yeah. tell her, I'm with my buddy Frank Castle right now. And this is just like, we just have, you know, bonds that go back and I got to be there for him. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's getting fumigated. <laughs> Oh, poor Curtis. (laughs) Um, What do you think about Curtis, uh, Mark? Well, is it it weird that I kind of um, looked at um, Frank and Curtis as sort of the dark version of Cap and the Falcon? Ah. Right? Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that that to me was sort of the the deal. And... uh, one of the things that I think they've, they've gotten right that they've actually gotten a lot of accolades for is the, 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 the psychological toll that being a soldier takes on people. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, Captain Falcon gloss over it because it's a superhero story. Uh, and uh, we changed, you know, by changing the Falcon from a teacher to uh, essentially a, 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 a caseworker, a therapist, you know, uh, is uh, I, I thought was a good way of sort of is at least paying lip service to it, but uh, the Punisher stories have really gotten into it, you know. And uh, I so I love that dynamic. I like that relationship. I like the fact that um, whenever um, uh, whenever Frank's around, uh, he ends up being uh, dragged back into it, you know. Uh, you know, Curtis is. Uh, uh, you know, Curtis has left it behind in a way that Frank never could. And, and of course, you know, in, the, in this episode or in the season, we see, you know, he actually brings Curtis back into the war, you know. And so that's a, a really, really good. Um, that, that, that was an interesting art for, for that character. And I thought it I thought it played really well. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I like I like him as an actor, too. So uh, no, no, no complaints. 
I thought that I thought that played very well. And uh, how did you th- feel about Curtis, Angie? Um, I think uh, the actor it just brings this like sense of calm and comfort to the role, and I haven't seen him in anything else, so I'm not sure if that's you know not just natural or great acting. But um, you know, it, I felt like that was such an important thing to have in this season because everything else was so frenetic in terms of people running around. Um, he was just this very calming influence. Um, the only complaint I have is that I think his since his stability was his purpose, you know, there wasn't a lot of time to process his own development. You know, the the fact that he mm. killed that guy, we never really got to break that down. We were at a time and following other people. And so I think, you know, he got gypped a little in, in that way. Um, but yeah, no complaints. It was, it was good to see him back. Yeah. Um, and let's talk about um, Krista Dumont, um, our psychiatrist. Uh, psychiatrist right or was it psychologist uh, it's um doctor we'll say doctor yeah doctor <laughs> yeah i don't see it on here whether which one she was but i think she prescribed meds so she was a psychiatrist then all right um so um you know originally i you know i don't know um floriana lima um part of it's the writing you know, because I'm like, oh, of course, she's a therapist, so they're going to paint her as this sort of, like, you know, uh, oh, you know, I'm I'm ev- the best in everybody kind of person, and regardless of their history and everything else, I'm, I'm going to believe that they're just a good person deep down inside and all that kind of stuff, and I was kind of rolling my eyes on it, but then it's just sort of like, she's just like, Hey, I, I, I'm in love with my patient and any horrible thing that he does, I'm totally cool with, and I just felt like her character just shifted so suddenly and it was just kind of like it went from her wanting to help him to her being an accomplice. Um, and I don't feel like we ever really sold that one. And also her, her poker face with Madani was so awful that again, I felt like Madani should have figured things out like six episodes before she did. So I was got a little frustrated by that, that she was doing such a poor job, which makes sense. I mean, it's not like this is something she does and she hasn't been trained in any kind of deception or whatever. But and so I guess maybe that's not a flaw in the character and the writing because she shouldn't be good at it. But at the same time, I I don't know. I, I was kind of frustrated by by this character. And I and other than to just see show that like, oh, yeah, you know, Billy could have had love and everything else. I don't know what her point really was. Um, Ryan, what did you think? Well, you know, I, I think Mark mentioned earlier that that Jigsaw it was the Joker to uh, Frank's um, Batman, and then obviously yeah. this is you know Harley Quinn, uh, mm-hmm. which in that sense, a lot of it was kind of predictable. I I don't know. I didn't buy. I, maybe this is just too stereo i just didn't buy that they would cast two beautiful people you know billy and her and not create a a a romance between them yeah maybe they could have played up as oh she was just trying to save him but i was thinking no i mean she's you know super attractive he's super attractive they're getting together this is this is tv this is how it works i've done this before (laughs) you know (laughs) and uh so none none of that really surprised me i I think they did kind of do some interesting um 
stuff with her, like with her, the story of her father, because I was expecting that to be something different. I was expecting that reveal to be a, a former, you know, lover or husband or something like that. And then uh, to find out, oh, no, it was her father who who did this, who, you know, kind of messed her up. Uh, that was kind of neat. And her fear of heights makes me wonder why she had an office apartment, you know, not on the ground floor. But um, whatever. Maybe that was her way of, of countering her own fears. It, I, she was there. Yeah, version right, because she used to do that thing where she'd pull the blinds and then just kind of work up to, like, staring out the window. So I think that was the intent, was that she was trying to overcome her fear. Yeah. Maybe every year she moved up a, another floor in the building. I, <laughs> I just figured it was rent control. <laughs> that's right there is probably the truth you know there was a scene where billy looked at a picture and i don't know apparently i looked at it wrong because i thought it showed her with a sibling with a brother and i thought that's who km was and that she had had a brother and the brother was dead or something like i didn't think a lover but i don't know if maybe i saw the picture wrong or what but that was that was what i that was what i was thinking it was going to turn out to be uh, not the yeah that was her dad Interestingly, though, she survived, so I don't know if they had a plan of doing anything with her afterwards, but... Yeah, um, I didn't expect her to live know, through that fall. That that was interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean... I thought that was the end for You know, her. she was a true romantic up to the end. Right. Yeah. Maybe as a twist, because Billy never takes the name Jigsaw, if they had continued, they would have made her Jigsaw. That could be interesting. I mean, maybe, you know, yeah. she she had actually more pronounced scars than he did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so anyway, that was just cause one of the things I was kind of spitballing in my head as a way to continue it would be for her to actually be yeah. the Netflix version of Jigsaw. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, you mentioned that you felt like Madonna should have seen right through her. But I actually, it, it was just, it was nice. It was nice for the two of them to have a relationship that was with each other that wasn't, you know, all about the dudes in their lives, even though it kind of was. was. <laughs> right, yeah, I was about to say, in what way wasn't it about the dudes it's in like their lives? The reverse Bechdel test. Yeah. Talk about nothing but Billy Russo. Uh. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't think, you know, you keep saying that they're, she was so attractive. I, I don't think she's in the same league as, uh, you know, Madani, but okay. <laughs> she's certainly not an unattractive I, person. You know, but... I don't feel that we have to do that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just saying I didn't feel like the relationship was a natural thing because they were just so beautiful. Well, I mean, but... okay. So, so Nathan, I... on a scale of one to ten, with ten being totally outraged, uh, <laughs> how do you feel that she, uh, you know, measures up to, I don't know, uh, Karen Page. Now, listen. <laughs> this is this is simply this is this is a killer couple. You know, yeah. okay. this is a classic killer couple scenario. Uh, you know, okay. Joker and Harley's a good enough analogy, but um, you know, you, you got somebody who's, you know, she's not. She, she reminds me of of uh, the kinds of um, clinical psychologists who have a very dispassionate view of like what their clients are doing, provided that they're getting better. You know what I mean? Like, like right. it, it, it's okay that he wants to be violent as long as, you know, there's a breakthrough. And I thought that came through. Um, but I still found her probably ah, so weird. You know, I sound like such a, um, I sound like such a caveman. I, I didn't find her very interesting. Um, and maybe it's because that the relationship, uh, 
uh, I saw where it was going. You know what I mean? Like, um, mm. th- there were the least, there were surprises in season two, but, but like that relationship was not one of them. And, right. and so that I saw, you know, pretty much within the first scene where this was going to eventually go every time they would switch back to it, I would, I would take the attitude of get on with it already, you know? And so that would, that, that probably didn't help my, um, my opinion of the character. I did like the fact that, you know, uh, she was willing to fight for her man. I liked the fact that when she snapped, she, she went all fatal attraction, you know, I, I think that, mm. that worked okay. But um, there wasn't enough indicator early on that they were going to be a killer couple. And so I think that, uh, um, in fact, I kind of thought at some point he was going to kill her even accidentally, you know? Yeah. Um, but um, so, so I, you know, it worked for me okay. I just didn't, uh, uh, I, I was much more excited to see Turk and Karen than I was watch that thing develop into a healthy relationship. Cause I, I really thought Billy was, I mean, you know, he's, he's, he's jigsaw. So I don't like him because you know, I'm not a monster. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I felt like after daredevil season three did such a good job of like showing somebody like in therapy and how that actually works. And even though the person was a monster, like, you know how that all, it felt like this was a very childish idea of, you know, what a therapist is and how they operate. And even the fact that she let Billy listen to some of her sessions that she was having with other people without those people knowing about it. I was just like, what you know i i i had some problems with yeah <laughs> i thought it was because she was a villain and i was kind of excited but i just ended up hating her stupid face I, right. <laughs> her dumb smirk all the time shut up lady <laughs> don't hold back angie tell us how you really feel <laughs> Well, when she let him listen to that session, I I really thought they were going to go with her being her own supervillain. Because I'm, I'm not familiar with the comics. I don't know. Mm. It, you know, I didn't come in with this thinking anybody was anybody specific except for, you know, Billy I knew because I Googled after the last season. But I really thought this was a thing she did. Like, she'd pick these damaged patients and, like, like manipulate them to her own ends or whatever. And then, I don't know, kill him or something. I don't know. I thought it was something nefarious. But no, she's just a girl with daddy issues. I, <laughs> a horrible therapist <laughs> with daddy <Terrible> issues. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I guess if I was Billy, my question would be, how many of your patients do you sleep with? <laughs> Maybe he's not the first. <laughs> he just ended up being the last. Um, everyone who reminds me of daddy. Yeah. That opens all kinds of other questions, but, (laughs) um, okay, so let's talk about him, the man himself, Billy Russo, um, Angie, uh, you kind of talked about Billy already, is there anything more that you wanted to say about him? Um, I think I touched most of it, I, I just, I, I think the actor's great, I think he works so well off of John Bernthal and, um, and Curtis, and, uh, he and, and uh, Madani just like I I just enjoy watching them interact. Mm. Um, his storyline itself, I think it was totally inconsistent, and even for a comic book, was not. <laughs> I couldn't follow. Like he shouldn't be able to have a love story like that based on what they 
you know, what they showed us about him in season one. And I had issues with his characterization in season one being inconsistent, and this just followed up on that. But yeah. I loved having him on my screen. Um, yeah, well, I, I think I... The thing is, he sells, like, how, like, upset he is about things, about how, like, the relationships that he thinks he should have aren't the way that they should be. And you can't trust a word of it, and it's great. Uh, right. But his actions don't don't have any sort of consistency either. Right. Right. Um, Ryan, what do you think about Billy? Well, <laughs> again, I'm not... I, I'm, I am able to separate what he does from who he is. But having said that, he draws you in. The actor draws you in to the point where while you're not necessarily rooting for him, you do feel bad for him. The, the pain and anguish that he expressed, you know, as he discovered all his friends had betrayed him, that stabbed me. That got me. I mean, he brought it on himself. He just doesn't remember that he brought it on himself. They, they were kind of vague with where exactly his memories cut off. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't even know if he remembered, you know, uh, going dirty in the military or not. Uh, all he we know for sure that he remembered is that Frank was his friend and Frank did this to him. And uh, he, the actor sold it in such a way that it was uh, it was genuine to me. Yeah. Um, I, I will say, though his relationship with Dumont aside, my absolute favorite scene uh, with Jigsaw. And it really wasn't even him. It was when they robbed the check cashing place. And uh, the woman was not going to open. The- <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. Yes. Like, I will put this grenade in here. It won't fit, dumbass. You know? <laughs> right. If, if he hadn't had a man on the yeah. inside, it would have just been great to see him just kind of like spinning around going like, how in the world? What do I do? The whole plan is wrecked because this woman is too brave. <laughs> I mean, uh but even even that his he had that actor he has chemistry with everyone um, from mm-hmm. Frank to in season one when I found out he was the bad guy I was like oh I kind of knew it was coming but oh you know <laughs> <laughs> and yeah so I, I really we don't know what else I could say about him except it's uh while he, the writing for him did not live up to what I was expecting for Jigsaw he really came across as kind of just like a a low tier criminal I mean the most criminal thing he did, uh, I guess, aside from shooting up uh, some women, um, is is robbing you know robbing some places. His his gang didn't really even get the merit, get high enough to where they were even noticed by the kingpin. Um, <laughs> so he was kind of a low level criminal, but uh, so it didn't live up in that expectation. But the acting itself, the emotion was spot on. Yeah, Mark, what? How do you feel about Billy? I didn't have a problem with him. Um, I. When when we got the when he took the mask off, and I saw that that the facial scars were not this horror show uh, countenance, um, I, I was I was disappointed only for a second, and then I realized no, this works because just because you can't see the scars, don't mean he still don't got them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, and I like the fact that he ended up. Uh, you know, letting the mask be the jigsaw face and letting everybody else's mask be the jigsaw face. But, um, no, I, I, I liked it. I, I, it was a very subtle, uh, reworking of a character that has always been kind of one dimensional and cartoony. I mean, the original jigsaw had a yellow, uh, skin tight suit 
with a blue collar that resembled a neck brace, like if you had whiplash. <laughs> and it, I'm not kidding. You can go look at it. It's, it was ridiculous looking. And so um, I think, uh, you know, there's a tendency with Jigsaw to want to show the face. And I, th- I think instead he played the face rather than showed the face. And so I, that's where I thought that worked really well. Yeah. Um, as far as, as far as the jigsaw aspect is concerned for me, um, I felt that it was pure like cowardice on Ben Barnes fault that he didn't want to look ugly on screen. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm positive that that's it. He protested and they caved in because they needed him because I, I think you can have psychological scars, but you can also have physical scars and it would have been fine well. to play it with, with the, with the face disfigurement. Cause here's the thing, the whole point and what they forgot is that it wasn't so that other people look at him and go, oh my God, you're, you're ugly. The point is that Billy was so vain, so incredibly vain, that it was all about him, that for him to see that when he looks in the mirror was the point of disfiguring him. And for him to just have like, oh, look, I got like two little lines on my face. And actually, it makes me ruggedly handsome now instead <laughs> of just pretty like I was before. It's just like that misses the whole point of what Frank was doing. Frank was doing the line from The Princess Bride to the pain. You know, your ears you keep and I'll tell you why. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's for Humperdinck to wallow in his own misery. It's not to like scare other people off. You know, I don't know if they characterized Billy that way in the show, though. That might have been the comic book, but I, with the abuse that he was shown to have suffered, I don't think his physical looks were as important to him. No, I think the way he was depe- depicted in season one, it was all about not only like looking good, but also having power. And everything else, he was a super vain guy. And I think that that was... I, I yeah. got that. I mean, I agree with Nathan. I mean, his clothes, uh, the way he held himself, he, 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 was, he knew he was attractive, and he wasn't afraid to use it. But I, I will say... The pretty face, I don't know that... Uh, that seemed to be more of a source of, like, shame and trauma to him than, yes, he had nice suits, he always looked really sharp, and that was part of his greed and his power-hungry... Like, he, he wanted to be powerful so he couldn't be abused anymore. But Frank even says something as he's scarring up his face about how I'm taking everything away from you, even your face, or something along the... It's been a while since I've seen the season, but I know Frank comments on that being the specific reason that he's dragging his face across the broken glass is because he wants to take something that Billy, like, had such pride in away from him. And so that's, I mean, I, that's, I'm, I'm not making this up. This is something that the, the show actually told us. I guess uh, I, I just, I never saw Billy himself expressing much of an opinion of a high opinion of his face. Well, but, but that's just being, I mean, he was, he's charismatic as well as vain. I mean, a, a, a vain person doesn't have to be Gaston from Beauty and the Beast and tell everyone how wonderful he is. I would disagree that he's vain he absolutely is but i'm saying the way the show has played it that his face being pretty is not a source of like pride to him it's he, he was more, he was more upset I, angie's saying he was more upset about the fact that frank betrayed him and that came across way more than than they've spoiled my good looks 
Well, yeah, 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 but I'm talking about the reason that things were done to him, not the, oh, now that we've wiped his memory, how Billy responds. Right. You know, because in season one, Frank wasn't upset that, I mean, Billy wasn't upset that Frank betrayed He knew exactly why Frank was coming for him in season one, and, and it wasn't a betrayal feeling. He knew he had betrayed Frank first. Yeah. I'm talking about why Frank did it to him, and, and you know, it would have been good. I feel like they should have played with that aspect of him being horrified when he looks in the mirror and that kind of stuff, too. Um, yeah, but, but I mean, as far whatever. as MCU standards go, he is horribly disfigured. You've seen how <laughs> beaten and bloody, and, you know, all these characters get. And oh, well, well, yeah, and I know that this is typical in Hollywood. I mean, Katniss was supposed to be horribly scarred at the end of the, the last Hunger Games story, but then it's like, wait a minute, she looks perfect at the end of the movie. You know? <laughs> yeah, I know. So, don't get me started. But I know this is typical of Hollywood. I just feel like it was a cowardice. You know, it was a cowardly choice. Um, most likely on the part of the actor, maybe on the part of the showrunners because they wanted to show off his pretty face. But I think it was probably the actor's well, decision. Well, it's also hard to do um, all of that makeup work all the time. So there might have been a time and cost component as well. Yeah, possibly. Um, <laughs> it's like when actors don't do makeup that they're supposed to do, like, for, like, oh, like, this race has, like, a blue skin. Like, oh, I'm Jeff Goldblum. Just give me a blue chin, you know? <laughs> like, oh, don't get me... Anyway, all right. <laughs> um, uh, Amy. Let's talk about Amy. Um, Mark, what did you think about Amy? Um, you're talking about, uh, uh, yeah, Frank's reason for, for being in this story. Yes. Uh, it, it worked. You know, uh, I, I, I agree with you before that I really liked their relationship. I thought that that was... Uh, that was a lot of fun to watch. It was it was really interesting watching them bounce off of each other, especially because her first impression of Frank is that, you know, uh, that he's fuggo. You know, I think this is great. Uh, so so for me so for me that was um, uh, that was enjoyable, and I liked the fact that uh, it, it built as the season went on. You know, she, he got more invested in her, and vice versa. So that uh, their relationship uh, is probably the longest, best arc of the of the whole show, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I felt like it was a little too long in the sense of that she knows that crazy people are out to kill her and she's still trying to run away. You know, I felt like at some point she should have clued into the fact that this is the safest person to be with, you know, uh, right now. Uh, yeah, I mean, she eventually gets there. But it took a little bit longer than I felt like was reasonable because I'm like, you're just going to get dead you know, if you run away. And that should be kind of obvious to you. But um, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, otherwise, I loved her and I loved her uh, relationship with Frank. Um, I love the way she just like does things like takes Madonna's clothes. <laughs> I thought that that was hilarious. And, um, you know, I, I just, uh, and, and even like Curtis and everything. And then at the end, the whole thing is they want to give her that, that second chance, right? You know, she wants to be a diver. They're going to, they're going to get her down there to a friend who can take her under his wing and, uh, you know, to give her that chance. And, you know, she wants this to be like, uh, you know, like, hey, I could be like, you know, your partner or whatever, and I could hang out with you. And, you know, and he's just like, no, you want no part with this. And, and I like that. I like that, you know, at the end, it's like, no, we're not going to make this a regular thing. Right. You know, go live your life. Um, it's a trope. 
I mean, I get that this has been done. This is like a classic story of, you know, the guy helping the, you know, the orphan waif or whatever, you know, and then like riding off into the sunset at the end. But, you know, I, I feel like it works, especially when the actors are good. And I felt like they were in this case. So I was, a you know, it worked for me. Um, Ryan, what did you think about Amy? Um, I think the her trying to get away from Frank for so long kind of makes sense in the way that they play her character the rest of the season it seems honestly like you know all other aspects aside that she gets younger and younger and kind of dumber and dumber as uh, the season goes on um so when you look at that in the beginning she's pretending to be a lot tougher and smarter than she actually is from her time in the police station trying to you know buddy up to that one cop to uh every to to um to the scene where she Frank's taught her how to disarm someone, and so she tries to steal his gun when he comes in, his loaded gun, and the, he is so petrified that he might have shot oh. her. That, oh, my God. Yeah, it was beautiful. That yeah. scene was great. I forgot to talk about that because yeah. it's been a while since I've seen the season, but that – his horror yes. at her coming at somebody with a loaded gun – you know, it's like you do not play. This is not exactly. a game. Oh, yeah, yeah, I love that. And and just yeah. the hurt on her face, but it made so much sense uh, from mm. from both perspectives. And then that's kind of mirrored later on when she shoots the guy uh, in the hallway, and she doesn't kill him, and she but she thinks she's gonna have killed him. So Frank goes, "You didn't kill him," and then he shoots the guy. Says, "There, I killed him," and you know, he kind of spares her that. But she keeps on mm. doing these young, stupid things throughout the season when she follows pilgrim back to his hotel you know oh my god yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> that was you know, frustrating it's it's kind of like oh the actress i think it was like 20 or whatever but she has the intelligence uh and the of, of a 13 or 14 year old you know throughout the season i even found it hard to believe although it's a little bit easier to believe that she went to her friend after there's the hit out on them i was just like all of new york is after you right now okay don't, don't you know? trust, <laughs> I anyone mean, in your career isn't really a friend where money's involved <laughs> right exactly i i was really surprised that that she did that good but yeah <sighs> yeah she was kind of frustrating at times but um, but that was the thing. I I they sold me so well on her relationship with Frank that I was I was good with it just because and, and the moments with Curtis too. Oh yeah. Because of her interactions with Curtis and with Frank, I love that so much that I was just kind of along for the ride with it. And they kind of have to do this. Like season one, they create this vulnerability, this intimacy between Frank and uh, Lieberman, uh, who I missed so much this oh, season. Oh yeah, and, I and, wish he was in yeah. at least one episode. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so they kind of replaced that sort of, um, you know, brother comrade in arms relationship that he had with Lieberman in season one with Micro uh, with Amy and the, the paternal aspect here. Uh, she was he's got this void. Frank has this gaping emotional void in him to have a family. And he just adopts these people around him for a little while. And then he pushes them away. Mm hmm. Yeah, and interestingly, even with Karen yeah. in this, I don't want to devote too much time to Karen, but the whole thing of him basically being like, go with Matt, you know? <laughs> I, although, you know, I don't know if that's a sidetrack, but I, I never got the Karen-Frank 
relationship. I never felt that. Yeah, I was always glad it never went anywhere because in season one they hinted a few times that it might get to something physical, and I was so relieved every time that it didn't go that way because, yeah, I didn't want that. But here she's almost, you know, like, I'm willing to give up everything to be with you kind of thing, and I felt like it was a little too much. Um, but, uh, but yeah, at least they brought closure to that whole aspect of things. So I, I'm grateful in that sense that since it was canceled, <laughs> they at least tried to bring some closure to some things. Um, Angie, what did you think about, um, about Amy? I, she's not Natalie Portman. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? You mean? The professional being one of the best movies of all time and, uh, this not being it. I thought you meant she didn't leave Thor. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I found her so frustratingly awful all the time. She's she's a street kid <laughs> whose whole purpose is to be preternaturally stupid and then turn around and spout this like <laughs> the philosophy that the show is trying to get through whoever's head. I. <sighs> I didn't feel like she was a character so much as just a sounding board for everybody else. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. I felt like, I felt like she did grow as a character. Um, I said so. Okay. <laughs> 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 at least, at least she learned a few things along the way. <laughs> she did disarm somebody. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little surprised she didn't already know how to disarm somebody, but okay. Uh. Well, I mean, in fairness, well, I mean, up until she was she she was good at running. That was her her superpower, yeah. you know. She she yeah. she was good at extricating herself from from a situation. So, yeah, uh, yeah she 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 she's a defensive character, not an offensive character. But yeah, exactly. you know, when when they send a, assassins after you, sometimes you gotta you gotta hang the big dog. For yeah, I mean, her mm. criminal niche was blackmail. It wasn't, you know, uh, anything. She was playing on a totally new level. Yeah. Yeah, that's the impression I got with that, too. I mean, she's also really, I mean, whatever age she actually was, you know, whether it's 20 or 16 or whatever, um, you know, she was a very young person and hadn't really gotten into, like, situations that were, like, life or death situations. She was, you know, she was, she was mm. in a whole, you know, different level of crime or you know she did she was in a way over her head you know she comes back and finds everyone that she you know knew dead <laughs> and she didn't know what to do about it um and so finally that brings us to uh john pilgrim um that's not a john wayne character all that sounds like it should be <laughs> hello there pilgrim um ryan what do you think about uh, pilgrim and his arc um, they tried. They, 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 I will give them credit for trying, uh, to give him something. Uh, they, they hint, you know, from these faded tattoos that he's got a previous life of crime and not just any sort of crime, but it seemed almost like a, a like white nationalism or something like that. Uh, um, so I, I was kind of curious to see, it's kind of like he, he went from being, uh, uh, 
a degenerate bad guy to being a sophisticated bad guy who you know thinks who is in it for entirely different reasons that he thinks are pure um that you know it's it's okay to kill if you're doing it for good calls as opposed to it's okay to kill because people you are you think are less than you it so i, I don't know that i cared enough to really explore too much his motivations and his history so they tried to to give it there um and it felt kind of predictable the things they did with him. Like you knew his wife was going to go while he was in uh, mm-hmm. he was in New York. You, you saw that coming in his descent. You knew she was it was going to happen then. About the the only time that I felt towards the end, the last couple of episodes when he was basically at death's door, and uh, he was only doing this because he realized. Corbin Burnson was a monster, or really Annette O'Toole was a monster, and he realized that the only way he was ever going to get his son's back was to do this bad thing. He knew it was bad. He knew he was a bad guy. He had a, a self-realization um, that he was not the good guy in this story anymore. And uh, then he became interesting. And and when he had, when he lost to Castle after that, which was a, a pretty epic fight between the two of them, even though neither could barely stand. Um, when he lost, and he says, you know. Don't kill my sons. That's that right there. The first time I actually felt anything for the character. Well, yeah, and of course that is the one thing that Frank couldn't take. You know, yeah. is is through the ma- the father appealing for the life of his sons, and you know, and so I, I buy that Frank wanted to find another way with that, yeah. and um, yeah, his resolution with the with the two. <laughs> <laughs> It was a very frank way of solving the problem. It's, and I thought that worked out pretty well. Um, Angie, what did you think about? Uh, I know you've mentioned that you felt the Pilgrim was really boring. Is there anything else you wanted to say? Um, just that I think I agree with you. That I think they made a mistake in trying to humanize him. He was much more yes. effective as the you know, the oncoming storm, the the thing, mm-hmm. just the Terminator that keeps coming and, and you don't know anything about him. I think trying to humanize him, you know, as much as I love to see Fusco from Person of Interest, yeah. it, um, it, it didn't do him any favors because it didn't make him more interesting because it was so trite, but it also took away the mystery of him and why he was doing what he was doing and just the the fear that comes from not knowing. Um, and I really, I think I would have preferred it if he had just been um, a menace, a, a shadow almost that was just coming. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that would have thematically fit more with um, Amy, you know, Amy's more primal fear of him. If they could have kept that up for longer in the season, I think it would have been more effective. Yeah. And uh, Mark, what about you? Pilgrim? Yeah, I don't. I, I I hate that we're all over the place here, but uh, you know, I, I I liked it. I liked the fact that that we got a little motivation from him. I, I think he would have been too much of a cartoon to just have him be this sort of, you know, especially with Preacher having made the um, uh, made the transition to TV. You know, the uh, the Saint of Killers uh, motif. Uh, ironically, also drawn by Steve Dillon, uh, is uh, yeah. I, I think I think you get one of, you get one of those, and then after that you got to do something different. So um, I, I was okay with uh, the the little bit of extra stuff. I, I liked the uh, I liked the fact that, that there was a uh, a break, a schism, 
between um, what this guy does for you know his job, what he does for a living, and his devotion to his family, and this notion that that they could be compartmentalized like that, you know, especially uh, for a guy who professes to be God fearing, I, I found that uh, I, I think that was probably just enough because there's a lot of hypocrisy uh, in in season two, anyways, and so that's just one more you know direction of that. So. Yeah, it worked for me. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, um, I, I, again, speaking back to the structural issues that I felt that there were with the season, there are things like it, where it felt almost like the Billy Russo plots and his plots were going to intersect when he shows up to Madani and says, you know, basically, give me Castle, you know, and... But then never goes anywhere. You know, like, he never shows up with Madani again, ever again. She does a little investigation. That doesn't go anywhere. And there's never any real, like, intersection there. So it's like they're trying to remind you he's there while they're doing the Russo stuff. But it felt... It felt like he should have been involved much more in what was going on, and then that would have helped keep up, I think, the threat of him. Um, because by the time we get to him again towards the end, he's a broken individual, and his threat level just seems all, like greatly reduced. I also... I also prefer villains who do what they're doing because they think they are right. I think a true zealot who believed that everything he was doing was 100% you know, right would have been a lot more interesting than someone who realized that the people that he was working for were horrible and that but he was just doing it for his kids. Um you know, would have been a more interesting character because that's someone that you can't, you know, it wouldn't have had a happy ending like this one did where it's like, oh, okay, I'll reunite you with your kids. But it would have been a more interesting foe. It would have been a more implacable foe. Yeah. Um, but I, I felt like, you know, because he was human and because he did realize that if they're willing to do all this stuff, then <laughs> then everything that they profess is, is wrong, you know, like they don't believe a word of it. I mean, that's good in that he can realize that at the same time it's kind of like okay so you're just just a hired gun at that point just like any other hired right. gun it's just you're you're not pay isn't what you're you're hired for your 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 payment is that your children will have a good life because they'll take care of the kid like you know they're gonna off you you know but that your kids will be taken care of um so i don't know um it wasn't as interesting to me as if they had gone a different route um but uh yeah, so I think that that, that talks about the characters. Um, the one thing I did want to mention is, is you know, the show is canceled, but there are rumblings and rumors of, you know, the Netflix shows may come back on either Disney Plus or Hulu. I think Hulu is a far more likely possibility if they come back at all, although I wouldn't hold my breath on that um, happening. But based on how the show ends... Would you like them to bring back Punisher if they're going to bring back the Netflix shows? Or do you feel like bring back, you know, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, but, you know, Frank was left in a, you know, a good place and they should do different characters if they're going to do like a, another show in addition to those four. Um, so, um, Angie, why don't we start with you? Um, I think... I think I would love to see John Bernthal back. I don't know that I would want a whole season. Mm. Um, I think it would work really well. To, well, frankly, I think all of the Netflix shows, maybe if they could just do more Defendery type things or, um, you know, Daughters of the Dragon or, or something like that where they're more combo mm -hmm. than singular. Because I think at this point for all the Netflix shows, we really had a good solid origin for everybody. 
Um, and with Castle specifically, I don't know what they would do with him that isn't a retread in terms of character development. He's pretty solidly who he's going to be or who he who the comics had him be. At right. This. So mm-hmm. I think he works better as a driver of plot in other stories than yeah. somebody I'd want to follow for another 13 episodes. He could try to kill Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ryan, what about you? Do you think Punisher has run its course or would you like to see it come back for a season three? You know, I'm sorry. Now I'm just kind of thinking like like in modern day terms, like uh, Castle is reading the bugle and J. Jonah is like, like a total like, you know, propagandist uh with fake news and how spider-man is responsible for so many evil things and yeah i could kind of see that in a way um, <laughs> but to, to to answer your question it yes uh i mean obviously it'd be contingent on storyline and, and villain and so forth and i kind of like the idea of dumont going on to be some nefarious maybe she recruits you know damaged people or something like that um but absolutely because people said Daredevil season two was the origin story of Punisher. And people said season one of Punisher was the origin of Punisher. And uh, they're kind of all wrong. It was all three. Season two of Daredevil, season one of Punisher, and season two of Punisher. It's not until the end of this season, you know, when Frank – even Frank says uh, that his wife knew who he really was. Yeah, and she loved him mm-hmm. anyways. Um, every It took this long for Frank – to realize what he is. Even at the beginning of the season, he's still trying to be something else. He's still trying to be normal, for lack of a better term. But at the mm-hmm. end of the season, he's wearing that skull, and it's not because of something personal, like going after Billy. It's because this is just who he is. It's he, at, at that point, he's crossed that Batman line where Bruce Wayne is just the mask. Now, you know, Frank Castle, for all intents and purposes, is dead. It's just the Punisher. Mm-hmm. And I, I wouldn't mind one season of that. It would be kind of, maybe it might be boring. You might have to make the story, like, from development perspective, the characters around him. But you can do that. Captain America doesn't change. You know, he is who he, he is. And ev- it's the, how everyone interacts with that. And, yeah, I would love to see a one full season of Frank Castle as the Punisher, full on. Hmm. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, I was surprised that Micro wasn't back because I did not see his marriage lasting. <laughs> you know, it's like it's nice to like sort of imagine them as a happy ending. But because of what happened and how he, you know, left let his family think that he was dead and everything. I, I thought for sure, you know, and the way his wife was reacting when he turned up alive. I was just like, yeah, they're going to stay together long enough to get out of this whole situation. And then she's going to be like, I want a divorce. And so I was like, so, of course, you'll turn to Frank and be like, I got nothing else, you know, right now. So, the kids are going to um, run to Uncle Pete. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, season, uh, I, I mean, that for me, that would be my dream. If there was a season three, would be to have Vince D'Onofrio in it as a villain. Could be he's pulling strings with other villains. You know, maybe he's trying to get Frank to hit on, you know, to, to take out people that he needs taken out, you know, or whatever. But have Vince D'Onofrio in it and have Micro back, you know, um, and, and I would be all for that. Um, I feel like Curtis needs a break now. <laughs> but Mark, uh, what about you? Would you like to see a season three of The Punisher, or do you think they should move on to uh, new characters? I uh, I think Angie's exactly right when she says that he's uh, better as a supporting character or a mm. guest star. 
and I think uh, that um, Ryan is right when he says it all depends on story. Uh, so I, you know, the thing is, is I don't want them to, I've never wanted them to force it. If you can't come up with a, with a good Punisher story, then leave it at two. Um, if you can come up with, uh, a Marvel Knights crossover that's got, you know, all these characters in it for, uh, you know, uh, banging into each other, a la Defenders. Uh, and Punisher is in that mix, then cool, do that. But um, I don't want a season three for the sake of season three. I, again, not that big of a Punisher fan, so I'm happy with what we've got. I like what we got. I think it was great. I think it was probably the best version of the character uh, that we've seen. And uh, I'm a big believer of going out when you're on a high note and not – you know, doing that one, one last season. You know what I mean? I just, I think that's a bad idea. Yeah. I've never liked it uh, with anything. Uh, and I especially don't want to see it with the Marvel stuff. Yeah. Uh, the Marvel stuff should get better, not worse. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, that's, uh, you know, uh, but, but totally, I, it would be great uh, to, to see him uh, appear. I, you know, maybe, maybe there's not a movie where he fits in per se, but definitely, uh, when they do Marvel TV shows going forward, uh, if there's a need for the Punisher to come in, even in the classic Marvel sense of the thing where, uh, you know, the Punisher believes he's doing the right thing and the, and the other hero believes he's doing the right thing and they, they have to fight first and then realize, no, 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 we're, we're on my side. <laughs> and then, you know, and then they team up to get something done and then Frank's like, yeah, well, my war goes on. Yours, uh, yours ends here. Mine continues. And he walks up, and the guy goes, "Man, what a freak!" And then next episode, it's something else. <laughs> that works for me. Yeah. Now that's that's straight up Marvel Comics 101. So I, I, uh, I, I wouldn't put any of that. I wouldn't take any of that off the table, provided that you keep the spirit up with what you what you've done prior to that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the show um, has run its course, and I would be happy. I mean, I'm fine with them not continuing it, even if they continue some of the other Netflix shows. Um, things that I would like to see moving forward, like if he's a guest star on other shows, I want to see Punisher on Runaways. I know it's never going to happen, but I want to see, you know, just like in the comics when he fights Molly. <laughs> <laughs> I want that fight. So, <laughs> yeah. Smart. Oh, oh. Nathan, come on now, man. Oh, the tumors, they throw you know, Love the idea oh. of this little girl, like, going toe-to-toe oh. -to -toe oh. with the punishment. <laughs> But, um, you know, uh, <laughs> Mark's reaction, I'm sorry. Well, I mean, until he until he realizes that all the kids' parents are just basically murderers, so he's, now he's got to go kill their parents for them, and now we have no more runaway show, right. you know? Right, well, that's the thing. I mean, the time to do it would have been while the news was out that they had, like, you know, when they the parents framed them for <laughs> killing the person, you know, and then the Punisher thinks that they're, you know, bad and has to go kill them, but, um, yeah, no, it's not going to happen. I get it, but it just would be so much fun. No, seriously, the character I want Frank to meet most in all of the Netflix, you know, what, what's been established in Netflix, is I want an episode episode of Jessica Jones. I have no real desire beyond that. I don't want to force any kind of storyline. I just think it would be so interesting to have Frank and Jessica 
in an episode together and just how those two would play off each other um, than, than Luke or Dan. I mean, he's already met Matt. Um, but more than Luke or Danny, um, although there might be some fun with Danny and Frank, just in the sense of, you know, I am the iron fist, you know, <laughs> and he's like, I don't care. And bam, bam, bam. You know, <laughs> you might have some funny moments, but I think that him, it'd just be really interesting to see how he and Jessica would play off each other. So, um, but, uh, especially with them both having lost like their whole family. Um, there might be some, some interesting emotional stuff too, for the two of them. Um, but you know, that, that right there is kind of like the spectrum of the, the characters, right? On the one end, you've got Matt Murdock, who you, you're not allowed to kill ever under any circumstances to Jessica Jones. who's like, I've killed a couple of times. I mean, it's, I hate myself for doing it, but sometimes it's necessary to Frank. Who's like, you got any more bullets? You know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, obviously, if something's brilliant, no one's ever going to say no to it. So if there's a brilliant Punisher season three that somebody has, then great. But I'm talking about just in general. My feeling is that the show's run its course, but I'd love for John Bernthal to continue to embody that character. Heck, if, he, if they want him on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for an episode, I'm okay with it. I mean, I don't know what that story would be, but if for whatever reason they run into Frank Castle, that'd be fine. <clears throat> well, that's that's really the, the you, you put the you know once again you, you circle back around to it. Um, Punisher tends to flavor very strongly whatever he's in, mm. and and there's not a good reason why he doesn't just shoot everything in sight. And that's why that's why he does not work. I, I you know you, you kind of have to isolate him in his own thing. You know, yeah. um, uh, you know you're running into the the, the oh yeah well. Why wouldn't they just shoot the agents of Shield, and why wouldn't they just shoot them back? Well, they would. You know that's the deal, and so uh, so you have to be real careful with how you do that. And I think uh, well, you you do know uh, that in the comics, Frank was an agent of Shield for a while, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> just like Conan was an Avenger. Yeah, we get it. Yeah, yeah, Conan was Actually, an Avenger. That's the only run of the Punisher that I read because Thor was a frog. <laughs> Captain America was a werewolf, you know. But, yeah, I mean, to Mark's, to Mark's point, it, it's kind of like the the danger there is you just get the same the rooftop scene with with Daredevil with the Punisher every time. Punisher going, you just need to finish them, and they won't come back. And the other person going, no, we've got a code that we have to you know try and take them alive, and it just gets kind of re- repetitive, right? Yeah. No, maybe. I'm not sure that it always has to be that way. And there's certainly characters on Agents of Shield that he could play off of that, like like him and uh, May. You know, could would be an interesting dynamic if there was some re- you know, if you could make it work as far as story wise, why those two need each other. Um, but anyway, um, but uh, yeah, I think that brings the Punisher episode to a close. Um, unless you guys had anything more to say, um, Ryan, was there anything else about the show that you really want to out? Um, just the fact that I feel Corbin Burnson was completely underutilized. Um, I love that guy. And, uh, if he was going to be in the MCU, I don't know where or how, but I just would have preferred something else. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, Angie, um, uh, anything more you needed to say about the Punisher? I think I'm good. Who's, who are you talking about? Ryan? Uh, Corbin Burnson, um, uh, yeah. Senator's dad. Yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, of course, like I even further back, obviously, like you know, all the way back, to, like uh, L.A. Law and so forth. But like Psych, if anyone's watched Psych, he was the dad, Sean's dad in Psych. No, I guess I'm the only one. Go check it out; it's awesome. Major <laughs> League, Major, Major League. League, yes, yeah, Major Along League. Along with Dennis Haysmith, the future <laughs> president of America. <laughs> <laughs> um. And Mark, did you have anything more you wanted to say about Punisher season two? I'm fully punished. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 after, feel, I feel well and truly punished. Yeah, after being on the 42 cast, I feel well and truly punished. <laughs> maybe uh, you don't need that. Made out alive. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that's not what you want to use as a full quote for this episode. <laughs> that's the new tagline on the on the uh, on the trailer. <laughs> um. All right, so uh, Angie, uh, why don't you say goodbye and let people know if they can find you online. Okay, I will say goodnight. Uh, you can find me here and probably only here. Okay, bye. All right. <laughs> I, feel like I love your outros, Angie. Those... So I have something to say at the end of the show. <laughs> Angie, your outros are my favorite outros. Yeah. Um... You're kind of like Mark. the Ron Swanson of the 42 casting. You know? <laughs> like, you find me here and nowhere else. Please and thank <laughs> All right, Mark, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? Uh, I've got a blog that I've been uh, filling up lately with all kinds of comments about my tumescent scrotum. Uh, and you can find it at um, Mark the Aging Hipster uh, at Blogspot or just uh, do a search for Finn's Wake and it'll pop up. Um, we the citizen the gentleman nerd is on hiatus right now, but we're going to be uh, starting back up again soon. Uh, you can listen to past episodes at gentlemannerds.com, and uh, uh, yeah, that's uh, those are the main places. I am on Twitter at Finn's Wake, but I am very indolent and infrequent about my tweets. And uh, Ryan, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? Well, uh, yeah, I will never say goodbye to the internet. As long as I've got you know a good Wi-Fi connection, we are forever. Um, and I meant that as creepy as it sounded. Um, you can find me on these fine people's Facebook pages, or you know, I would say other social media, but really, it's just Facebook for me. Uh, <laughs> I have a Twitter account, but you know, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't check it. Uh, you are more than welcome to go to geeksranger.com. I like seeing double digits, you know, ten views every now and then that's kind of neat uh as opposed to just like four um otherwise yeah uh just just start a fight with me <laughs> yeah see you say stuff like that you've been nowhere near as fun as you used to be because you're so busy I know. It's, dude it's like it's like it's, it's work man but uh, like i said on the bright side I've never been this financially solvent, so it's kind of scary. I feel like I need to do something really stupid money-wise. It's like, what do I want? Yeah, go to Vegas or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Then you, like, come back. You don't even have an apartment or anything yeah. else. It's like, it's all gone. <laughs> I bet it all away. But you know what? I mean, great for art, right? You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, Mark, Angie, and Ryan, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. And that's a wrap on our Punisher Season 2 episode, and almost a wrap on us talking about the Marvel Netflix series just three years too late. <laughs> nah, it's timeless, because those shows never got another season, so we can release our final episodes on them whenever we want. 
But you can let us know what you think about that in a variety of different ways. One way is to email us at everything at 42cast.com. Another way is to go to our website at 42cast.com and leave a comment on any of the episodes. You can also tweet to us at 42cast or go on our Instagram at 42cast. You can also leave us reviews on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts. The reviews on Apple Podcasts do help because the more reviews that we have, the more we will show up in searches. So we would definitely appreciate it if you have an Apple account, if you would leave us a review. I'd also like to let you know about the ESO Network Patreon. That can be found at patreon.com slash ESO Network. There are a bunch of different tiers at different levels that give you access to different things. There's even a whole exclusive ESO Network podcast that you can only get through Patreon. So if you have the funds to contribute, we would definitely appreciate it because it helps keep all of our shows running. You can find me on two other podcasts. One is Time Streams, where my friend Juliet and I are going through all of Doctor Who from the beginning. You don't have to buy the episodes yourself because we do explain everything important that happens in those stories as we review them. But if you want to do that, you will certainly get more out of it if you follow along with us in these episodes. So again, that's Time Streams, and if you would be interested in that, we would love to have you join us. The other one is Legendary Forces, where Juliet and I, again, but also joined by Joe, Ashley, and Corey, are going through all of Star Wars fictional media from the beginning. That's the movies, the comics, the TV shows, the novels, anything that actually happens in the Star Wars universe. We talk about the quality of the media, is it any good? And then we talk about it in the light of the expanding Star Wars universe, like how did people conceive of what this universe was, what happened within it. So we get into issues of canon, continuity, sort of the idea of Star Wars as it evolved from just a single movie. So if that sounds interesting to you, check out Legendary Forces. I don't really have anything new to report. Uh, This is about the same time that I recorded the outro for Batwoman, so continue to watch this space. I'll tell you more about what uh, I'm watching right now, what con updates of where we're going and when we're going and all that kind of stuff, you know, as it comes up. But that is a wrap for this week. Join us back next week when Natalie Portman will not be joining us. And until then, this is Nathan signing off. You have been listening to the 42 Cast, copyright 2021. Got a question for the ultimate answer? Contact us at everything at 42cast.com. Theme music is Sharper Swords by Brandon Ellis. Check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com. The 42 Cast is a proud member of the ESO Network. has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.